0: Algar productions. Algar, 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 ALGAR PRODUCTIONS ALGAR PRODUCTIONS ALGAR PRODUCTIONS ALGAR PRODUCTIONS
1: ALGAR PRODUCTIONS You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Supplemental Episode 21 Friends, it's supplemental time.
2: Yes, in the bridge between season 6 and 7 of DS9, Al and I like to take some time, pull up a chair, start a fire, roast some marshmallows, get a beer don't, out of the kitchen.
1: Don't you mean marshmallows, Matt?
2: Sit back, put our feet up on one ottoman, and really go to town on your questions from you.
1: Is it a Thanksgiving Day, ottoman? Ottomans? Yes. I think I know how to say manger, friend. <laughs> just kicking it off with references you probably don't get. <laughs> Welcome to the supplemental. Yep. All that stuff Matt said, except we do it every time, not just between DS9 seasons 6 and 7, but, but between every season.
2: It's like I could have sworn that they'd, uh, <laughs> that they'd, n- they'd done these before. I mean, no, I could have s- nobody.
1: I could have sworn that the announcer guy just said supplemental episode 21.
2: I don't see why everyone assumes we have to start with one.
1: Yeah, that's true. They're numbers.
2: We can pick them at random.
1: Yeah, and then like comics, we can say, oh, and this is episode zero. Yep, this is episode zero point next. Because that's a thing. Yep. I guess. I don't know. Is- I, I I don't know why I'm angry at comics. I'm not, actually. <laughs> you
2: don't even have to care about comics anymore.
1: No. Speaking of comics. Yes. Though, I, I recently... Re- uh, I don't know if I'm completely caught up. I'm pretty close to caught up on the IDW Star Trek series. Oh,
2: nice, because I've fallen off since the, uh, the Q uh Did you stuff. read the Q thing? I read about half of it. It wasn't
1: bad. It was mostly alternate reality. Like, yeah. Like, it's going to be alternate reality anyway, because it's the original crew meeting DS9. Right. But it's it, it wasn't the DS9, the versions of the DS9 characters that we know and love. It was an alternate version of them, and I didn't like it as much because of that. Yeah like I want to see Kirk meeting Cisco the way we know Cisco not Cisco of an alternate universe.
2: Yes. Um I I, I like it just on the basis that there's never enough DS9 stuff. It sort of gets uh, relegated to its own little corner. Right. Or it... you know has the entire cast replaced with next generation characters. <laughs> it it
1: has its moments like there's there's some decent the, basically what it turns out is you think Q's fucking with Kirk and I I'm not going to spoil the actual thing like right. if you're reading and you haven't read the end yet this doesn't ruin the ending exactly it's just the, the sort of on a bigger picture thing Q you think Q's fucking with Kirk and it turns out no what he wants is Kirk's human ability to cheat ah that is renowned that nobody's a better cheater than Kirk. Mm -mm. And he has what he thinks is an unsolvable problem that he has brought to Kirk, because Kirk is the most amazing guy at solving those kinds of problems.
2: Now, if I take you to Deep Space Nine, um, how can I trick Captain Picard into loving me? (laughs) That's not
1: unsolvable.
2: It's very difficult at this point. I can see how he would be getting desperate.
1: Okay, first of all... He's been
2: working on this problem for seven years now.
1: First of all... We have no indication that, that Picard swings that way, so showing up as a dude maybe not the best move.
2: That's that's a start cue. It's like Second but I picked all, this body and I can't give up now.
1: Picard likes being respected. He doesn't want a subservient mate, but he wants someone who at least respects him, I yes. think. And you don't really show him that.
2: Hey, come on, have a little romance?
1: Like I, I I'm just I'm basing this on Vosh. I'm basing this on uh, uh rollout keyboard lady. Yeah. He likes like strong Women who were respectful mm. of him, and Vash wa- was a little disrespectful, but uh, you know, below all that, she she respected him, mm. and, and Q does not. That is definitely true. So that that's it's not unsolvable. He's just doing it the wrong way. <sighs> I could totally woo Captain Picard, is what I'm saying.
2: Oh, I'm sure you could. I believe in you.
1: Yeah. F- first step, put on a like Bugs Bunny style drag outfit.
2: Step two, unfold your piano.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yoo-hoo. <laughs> Do do do, yep. Ah, exactly. Oh my. So we uh.
2: <laughs> Be very very quiet. I'm hunting rabbits. <laughs>
1: yeah. I, I guess I guess that fits pretty well actually. Yep. <laughs> you could totally just put him in that uh, in that outfit.
2: I can't believe I killed a poor innocent bunny. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Patrick Stewart probably would do that too.
2: Uh he almost certainly would.
1: Uh where was I going with the oh, comics? Yes. So yeah, the, the the comics weren't too bad. Uh as you allude to, I can't remember if we've talked about this before. In in the DS9 novels, mm. uh DS9 th- there's no element of DS nine in them anywhere.
2: No. Speaking I... of someone who hasn't actually read any of them, but
1: uh Okay, but but you were aware of you, you kinda keep tabs on what's going on and if it looks interesting, I assume you'll pick up a book and yeah. it just hasn't looked interesting. No. And uh, I can't remember if we've talked about this, so apologies if we're repeating ourselves. But you said uh, none of the uh, DS Nine characters are in it; it's all been replaced. I, I then... was
2: well, I was reading the back, and it's a co- sort of a combination of characters I don't, uh, characters I'd never heard of, mm-hmm. and probably t-
1: characters who have been featured in previous novels that people yes. who follow them are invested in.
2: Them. Yes, and uh, TNG characters, right? And also, uh, the DS9 itself has exploded and been replaced by a new space
1: station. Well, that was that was my reaction. Like, okay, but it, it's set on DS9, right? So at least it's about Deep Space Nine in that it's about the station, and you're like, no, they rebuilt it. It's
2: like, well, it's set on a place called Deep Space Nine, so I guess?
1: Yeah. Hmm. All right, then. Yeah. Well, whatever. <sighs> So the expanded universe—a bit of a mixed bag, right
2: yeah. now. Yeah, I am. Uh, I am waiting for the. I am anxiously waiting for the collection of uh, Star Trek versus Planet of the Apes: The Primate Directive.
1: Every time I hear that title, I react differently. Mm-hmm. First time, it was like that's great. The second time, I said that's terrible, and you said, "Wait a minute!" You said that was great, <laughs> and you were oh, right. So I did. Ah, uh, I don't know.
2: That's just, it is insane enough that I, like, it is, I figure it'll at least be worth a read. And a, uh, a talking about on this.
1: If the book lives up to that stupid title, maybe. Mm-hmm. But if it takes itself too seriously, you know.
2: There's also, uh, there's been announced a, uh, movie Trek, uh, Green Lantern crossover, which I'm less thrilled about.
1: Eh. We'll see, who mm-hmm. knows. I, I, I can't think of any of those crossovers I've ever been into, but you know.
2: Well, I mean <laughs> Star Trek X-Men. Come on.
1: Yeah, that was all written just for the Doctor McCoy joke. Yes. As you told me, I didn't even know that that beast was named Doctor McCoy. Yeah. So. Dr. Yep. Hank McCoy. Right. Um, I think that's it though as far as like sort of extended expanded universe yep. type stuff like uh we we don't have much news on the new movie to react mm, to either. Nope. Like they are now they're calling it Beyond, is that what it's called? Yeah,
2: Star Trek Beyond, I believe is the title yep. that was announced.
1: That's fine. Um, I, don't, I don't hate that. That is that is a better title than Into Darkness. It certainly is. Even if I had loved Into Darkness, I don't like that title.
2: It's better than uh, Star Trek Out, Out of Darkness, too.
1: Yeah. And better than, you know, Star Trek Something, Rise of the Something. Also good. Yeah. So, and Beyond implies that they are actually doing the five-year mission exploring things. That would be nice. So, fingers crossed. And maybe I will win my bet with Scott Zioko mm. that... Uh, that it doesn't uh, primarily feature Klingons this time, featuring Idris Elba as a Klingon. Ah, why would you use Idris Elba as a, like he, the whole thing? I mean, he's a good actor, of course, but he's also very pretty. Mm-hmm. Why would you cover him up in Klingon makeup? Because. All right, fair point. <laughs> but you remember, like, um, God, what was his name? the The main bad guy in Star Trek VI, General Chang. Yes. You uh, know what I'm talking about. I can't think of the actor's God name. God damn off the it, of I can't head. either. Yeah. If you if you
2: know it's ne- his name, please write to us and we'll get to it now on the next don't. supplemental. Yeah, please don't. Four, Three thousand emails all saying it was this guy. Yeah, which you would I, have it, known if
1: you'd spent a minute on IMDb. It is so completely like right on the tip of my tongue. I don't like to Google things while we're while we're recording just because I get super distracted. It's Bill Pullman. Yes, it's Bill Paxton. Mm. Thank you. God, I can. I just ah. I cannot think of it. I'm going to stop the show now. Hang on, I got it. And General Chang actor, Christopher Plummer. There you go. General you, General
2: Richard. Chang's chicken? That yes. can't be right.
1: Uh, I don't know. If you had like a Star Trek themed restaurant, <laughs> that would be something you could serve there.
2: <laughs> I would be pretty okay with that.
1: Yeah. It's got, it's got like a metal eye patch bolted to it.
2: Cry havoc and unleash the biscuits.
1: Biscuits with General Chang's chicken? Yeah. All right. That is that is unconventional. <laughs> it's a very unconventional restaurant you have opened, sir. Hypothetical restaurant. I feel pretty good about it, though. Uh, but in, in any case, when he played a Klingon, he had, like, three tiny bumps and an eye patch. Yep. Like he Because he wanted people to see his face. Uh-huh. And I don't necessarily think Idris Elba is vain enough to want that. But I think if you make him a Klingon, you're going to have to do something like that just because, you know, his face, man. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. I'm mm. not saying he shouldn't be a Klingon, he'd probably play a pretty good Klingon. I think he'd play an
2: actually a really kick ass Klingon.
1: I don't know. Like I the only thing I remember him playing a villain in was the wire and he was the super smart one in that. Like yeah. he wasn't he wasn't really aggressive and, and sort of you know, he wasn't very Klingon at all. If anything, he was Vulcan. Mm like the whole the whole thing of his character was he was surrounded by sort of these street level sort of thug drug dealers and he was he went to college and he wanted to run it like a business and he was very logical about it right and it was it was an interesting take on that and so he was always wearing suits and he was always talking about the numbers and the bottom line and it was always you know it was very much a business to him and like mm-hmm. a really interesting character, but not very Klingon. I don't know I would like to see that yeah i mean i I'm not saying I wouldn't but I kind of hope it's something else.
2: I just don't want them to be all like, he's definitely not playing a Klingon. Oh, it turned out he was a Klingon. Mm. It takes off his fake forehead at the halfway point and goes...
1: (laughs) Like so much Tom Riker? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. That would be a better reveal. (laughs) You know what would be a better reveal than Tom Riker's stripping off his beard everything?
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Fucking still one of my favorite goddamn... I'm I'm not the William Riker you thought I was. I am...
1: William Riker with a slightly different beard. I Even though you've never seen me with this beard, you're supposed to know what this means. Dun-dun-dun! It's not like he only had a goatee in the episode. Yeah. Or a Van Dyke, or whatever that, I don't know. God damn it. Alright. I, I think that's it. Uh, oh, before we get to the letters, any, mm. any final like lingering thoughts on Season 6 of DS9 so far or anything like that?
2: Uh, it's been pretty good. Yeah, I mean... I, I'm
1: excited that we're heading into Season 7 now. I I found season six way more uneven than I remember. Mm. I remember there being a couple of stinkers mixed in there with a couple of really great ones, but there was a lot of really up and down there for a while. Yeah.
2: Unfortunately, the down came in a big chunk, so.
1: Yeah, but it was all sort of at the same time. Like, it was all in the latter half, maybe even, like, the latter quarter of the season. Mm -hmm. Where we had, like, Far Beyond the Stars, and then almost immediately we had, like, Profit and Lace. And then back to the finale up again. Like, Mm -hmm. it, it was just nuts.
2: Just the just the name of the episode.
1: What, Profit like, and Lace? Yeah,
2: it's like you threw up on my lap.
1: <laughs> I don't know. Hey, I Matt! I, I gotta give it credit for being a descriptive title. Mm-hmm. Whereas 95% of other DS9 episodes do not have descriptive yeah, titles.
2: The the Blurg or whatever.
1: Yeah, something and something.
2: Yep. They're doing a Ferengi episode. Can we get another Profit joke in there? Probably. Yeah. All right, good. What's the plan? Stick Quark in a dress. I love it.
1: Well, anyway, mm-hmm. that's behind us now. We we sh- we never need speak of it again. We will.
2: Oh, we will.
1: But we we don't need to.
2: But we shan't. But we will.
1: Uh, I'm not saying we won't. All right. I just I didn't know if there was any sort of like stuff that no. maybe we should discuss that we hadn't gotten to on the show, like I... the big picture stuff, or like.
2: No, I don't think so.
1: Okay because yeah i'm I'm excited about season seven as well. I remember liking the the opening few episodes, and I know I love there's like i don't I think it's seven episodes, but I could be wrong about that. The finale is long mm-hmm. It's like a nice big serialized run to the to the end
2: so like seven episodes or something
1: I think it's seven, but I could be wrong about that, but it is a lot mm-hmm. like it's a substantial portion of the season is sort of the third act of all this war stuff right. Which is which is great. It's good that they don't try to rush it all in an hour. It's mm-hmm. it, you know it plays out for a bit. But I don't Let's like see
2: how this plays out.
1: I don't know what the rest of, like. I I feel like there's probably some stuff waiting for us that we're not gonna like.
2: Oh, I'm sure there's at least a few turds in the season. Well, there's a
1: lot of Vic Fontaine. I know that. Yeah, and it there's... makes me
2: sad. You know, like I like that dude in small. Yeah, so far I like him. You know, like, there's a yeah. <laughs> he's a fun character. He sings songs that I like, you know. Yeah. It's that, it, but it's and like... And it's
1: something new. It's something we haven't seen in Star Trek before, but it's still kind of fast. Yeah.
2: And if they had sort of, like, if they had, you know, not so completely fallen in love with the character and made him into the most important character that everybody loves. Yeah. You know, he probably would have been a great addition to the cast.
1: Yeah. Now, he's a very... Uh... Nate reminded me uh, in his appearance last week mm. of, of the term Mary Sue, which I knew but forgot about. Yes. Uh, he said it in relation to uh, the, the captain in The Sound of Her Voice, which I didn't entirely agree with. No. But but that was his stance, and I no, you know who's a Mary Sue is fucking Vic. Yes. Because he's got the solutions to everyone's problems. Hey, hey, pal,ly listen, this is how you win that big old space war. Everybody loves him, and he can help them all. That's and there's good. no one who would know how to how to defeat a
2: space war better than a 1940s lounge singer. You 60s. know I'd go from rags to riches. 60s, not 40s. Turn into Carmine from uh, Laverne and Shirley. I, I don't, I don't. Carmine the Big Ragu. No, don't know it. I forget his last name. But I, I remember do. everything else about Laverne and Shirley.
1: I don't think I ever actually watched Laverne and Shirley. Was... I'm just aware of Lenny and Squiggy because I am a Michael McKeon. Because
2: internet. how could you not be? Well, of course. You live in the world.
1: Lenny and Squiggy are, are loom large on the cultural radar, my friend.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Sir, have All you right. heard the good news about Lenny and or Squiggy?
1: <laughs> no, it's got to be both. <laughs> it's got to be Michael McKeon and David Lander. It can't just be one. <laughs> Has to be both. I'm just showing off that I knew David Lander's name because he's kind of a nobody now. Yep. I don't know that. He was in Twin Peaks when Twin Peaks got really bad. That's all I really remember.
2: (laughs) The guy who replaced David Lynch is like, Get me Squiggy!
1: Yep. Not Lenny, though. Because that guy's off doing the X-Files and, like... You know, Spinal Tap stuff, and Mm -hmm. Christopher Guest stuff, and like, really good stuff. I just picture Lynch getting back.
2: I thought I told all of you never to have an (laughs) ex-Laverne and Shirley cast member on the show. Positive I said no, Squiggy. It says right here in my
1: notes. (laughs) I just like watching the waveform when I do the Gordon Cole voice.
2: Coop, today you remind me of a small Mexican chihuahua.
1: Bonsai tree. Remember those old World War II movies?
2: Bonsai. You are witnessing two adults sharing a tender moment.
1: Yes, we are. We are Twin Peaks enthusiasts. Sit
2: back, kid. Realize. You might learn something.
1: Let a smile be your umbrella. All right, let's let's answer some. I now. could literally do this for two hours. I could not. We're almost out of Gordon Cole lines.
2: <laughs> Oregon. <Origata. laughs> All right, last one. <laughs>
1: We do have a substantial amount of mail here, and we're already like 16 minutes into the show, so maybe we should address this. (laughs) Uh, First one comes from Rod Tenzal, and he says, Dear Podcasters, Your reactions to the treatment of Ferengi ears warrant a short lecture on sexuality. Mm -hmm. Erogenous zones are body parts capable of eliciting sexual responses when stimulated. These body parts in question are not limited to genitals. Common erogenous zones include lips, hands, thighs, butt, feet, Neck, shoulders, nipples, and even ears. Hmm. The wonderful horror in this is that almost the entire body is capable of arousal and that all stimulation can derive sexual pleasure. Hmm. I assume he's, he's writing to your, like, disgust for the human body by saying the horror. In this. <laughs> it's accurate. Consider that these body parts are also stimulated in non-sexual ways. Friends and family kiss, and yet kissing is also a prelude to further erotic actions. Hands are shaken in salutation. Shoulders and backs are patterned in congratulation and rubbed in condolence. Uh, the Ferengi practice of umox seems about as sexual as an intimate neck and shoulder massage, assuming that all participants are consenting. When Ferengi parents and caregivers hurt their children's ears as an act of discipline, it's no more obscene than spanking. Perhaps you will rethink physical interactions. <laughs> nah. Uh,
2: I certainly have figured out why I've never pleased my wife. <clears throat> Wait, what? It's okay, she doesn't listen to the show.
1: <laughs> no, I know, but I'm, I'm I'm... Clearly I wasn't working the ears. Oh, I see. No, no, he's not saying everyone's ears. No, oh. He's saying, you know, not, not, hashtag not all ears. <laughs> no, I I don't know. Like, I get that. Mm-hmm. But I also get that the show has been very clear, very clear about how sexual it is. Yeah. Like, we had in Profit and Lace, we had Quark very clearly propositioning his, his employee to give him Umox, and it was super, super seedy. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't like, a prelude to something else. Umox was it. That was the thing he wanted, and it was meant to be creepy. Ugh. And you had Rom that one time stroking his ear while he's looking at Lita. Yep. He even Thank says you. at
2: one point, Too much Umox. Oh, who's a lucky girl? Just me.
1: Yeah, like the first masturbation joke in, in Star Trek canon.
2: Yep. <laughs> Oddly enough, exactly the same episode as the first appearance of a ladder.
1: <laughs> was it? Yep. <laughs> How do you remember?
2: Now that's freestanding ladder, not a not a ladder bolted to the wall. Those have been no, around no, of forever. Course.
1: That's not a ladder. Yeah, that's a something like. Ladder enthusiasts are getting mad at you, Matt. Like, that, that, that's not a ladder.
2: Ugh. Let's not let's not spend all day d- defining what is and is not a ladder. Let's spend all do day that. doing impressions of David Lynch.
1: <laughs> Must we?
2: <laughs> you know, he's got a record career now. What? Was writing uh it was uh releasing music for a while there oh i, I didn't know listen that. to me play the guitar and sing a song about a woman i used to know
1: i'm not doing twin peaks they <laughs> didn't pay me enough anyway no <laughs> the, it's it's not our i don't think it's like sometimes we interpret things a little you know like we have our own way of looking at stuff that isn't always in line with everyone else's but in this case i'm taking the show's stance that umox is a sexual thing. Mm -hmm. That's what they told me. That's, that I think it because they said that Mm -hmm.
2: it's that they spend so much time sexualizing the Ferengi ears that when, (laughs) that when, um, they actually do do anything else with them, all we can think is gross. Yeah. You know, if, if it, if Umox had just come up once or twice, it probably wouldn't have bothered me so much, but like, it's just one of those things that it's one of those wells they keep going to. It's just like, ah, ear sex,
1: you know? Yeah. And so, and they use lobes as a synonym for balls. Yeah. He doesn't have the lobes for it. Right. Exactly. Like it's, it's meant like as a stand in for genitals more often than not. Yeah. Like I really don't want it to be, I would love to not be squicked out every time someone's standing there, stroking their ears. Could strongly a,
2: do without the, the uh, image of Rom grabbing his son by the ear and dragging him away. Cause yeah.
1: See now if they had started with that uh huh, and just done that for a while, then that would have been like, Oh, I get it. That's a, prominent feature on his head he's got a handle on his head yep of course he grabbed him by the
2: the chug-eared pumpkin people
1: (laughs) yeah i believe that was walter Koenig's way of describing
2: indeed it was my friend indeed it was
1: that was uh walter has written an intro (laughs) it was the uh the trade paperback for uh, what was it called uh there was a comic a dc comic back in the 90s when dc had the license Uh, it was a next-gen original series crossover.
2: Oh, the Modula, the... Oh, yeah, the Modala Imperative. There you go.
1: And Walter wrote the, uh, the intro to it. And he's like, yeah, I haven't really watched the new show much with the jug-eared pumpkin people. Mm. Still, this is a paycheck, so I'll take it. Yeah, whatever. Walter has written a book.
2: (laughs) I'm Walter Koenig, and Babylon 5 won't be out for another couple of years.
1: Also, I have no hair.
2: (laughs) Walter Koenig slowly turning
1: into a skeleton. Uh, oh, here's a follow-up from Rod. All right. He says, "Matt, now, All please right. feel free to disregard my prior email that contains incoherent human sexuality lecture. Ears are weird, and the human body is wonderfully <laughs> gross. Also, very cruel drinking games exist for the History Channel show Ancient Aliens." <laughs> All right. I love that. Yeah, th- apropos of nothing. Yep. <laughs> uh, since yearly. Someone who ironically acts as if puns are funny.
2: Oh, God damn it! You had me, and then you lost me.
1: No. no you never.
2: Went yeah, all Nick on me.
1: I will say, I will say, Rod, uh, th- this is the dude who sent me some really cool uh, uh, stuff that he made. Mm. Oh, yes! He made uh, some tribbles. He made some stuff with the logo on it, like the, the logo for this show and my other shows, mm-hmm. which is very nice. Uh, like some envelopes and some nice, like, stationary type stuff. And he made me a pad. Like, a, a replica of a, of a Star Trek pad. Yep. That just says no. <laughs> like, I think he was going for the go-away pad from that one episode, but it's it's a bit small, and he wanted the letters to be big, I think. Well, so. I
2: can understand that also it could easily combine with my love of the sign that says no. Well,
1: right. Which but I, I don't have canonically think, been a fan of. I don't think, like, that's... Like, that was a runner in our webcomic that nobody read. <sighs> that is now no longer available on the internet, so yeah, I Thank doubt, God.
2: Yeah. <laughs> If you'd like to know more about Menace of the Interman,
1: too fucking bad. Yes. Maybe get Matt drunk and ask him. <laughs> that That's probably about it. I wonder how much of it I could remember, actually. I—I I, Because I had to both write it and draw it, I remember quite a bit. I can
2: remember quite a bit.
1: And every now and then I'll, like, take a joke from there and recycle it for something else, because no one's ever going to see that.
2: Nope. So. <laughs> Three oh. readers. Two of them were us, and one of them was Duncan.
1: Yeah. One of them was, at the time... <laughs> My best friend's, like, 12-year-old kid. He's now 18, but... This strip
2: is he's... hilarious. You guys yep. are geniuses.
1: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You haven't really seen the world yet, have you, kid?
2: Sure haven't! <laughs> All right.
1: I'll take this. He has now, though, so probably best to get rid of it. God damn it. Um... Yeah, I, I was telling somebody about this the other day, that, uh... The... the I, I only have ever done about five years' worth of stuff. hmm Like... My my creative archives only go back to about 2010, and before that, it just it it disappears. And next year it'll be 2011, and like just I keep moving the the start point up, mm-hmm. and I keep sweeping the old stuff under the rug. I'm so glad
2: I stole that copy of, of your book of columns. It'll be good yeah, black. It'll the... be good blackmail. Uh, Long gone fodder.
1: Long gone. Uh, oh, this one anyway. So I wanted to thank Rod for for making that stuff. It was awesome, mm. and I just for a for a a gift, uh, and you know, an unsolicited gift to show up at my house just from from a listener, that is like the best thing. It's pretty cool. Like free stuff from listeners, so so cool. Um, oh, and one more from him. He says maybe it's the shipper in me, but does season six reek more of rainbows than usual? In the first episode of the season, Garrett complains of Julian's calculating Vulcan attitude and bemoans his boyish smile. Clearly Garrick has been scorned by his lover, or do straight fans normally bicker like this.
2: Eh,
1: depends on how exactly you define straight. Yeah. Matt and I are ostensibly married to women.
2: Yes, but um I definitely wouldn't go
1: I don't know that I'd call a straight ten out
2: of ten on the straightometer. meter.
1: Yeah, I th- I think it's a I think it's a continuum. I'm like, th- definitely uh th- <laughs> This is a half-joke, half-real answer, but I seriously do think it's a continuum that I don't think anyone is completely straighter.
2: Yes. Let the record show that the two people on this podcast actively made out at our last live show.
1: We did. There was, there. was Our tongues were in each other's mouths. That was not just a stage kiss. No. Uh, and he continues, so my real question is this. When the hell did they break up? I just assumed that they were screwing around again just as soon as Bashir broke up with Lita in Dax in a bikini. Mm-hmm. That's what he calls it, the episode.
2: And right, and rightly so. It's actually one piece, but yes.
1: Yeah, Dax in a bathing suit. Mm-hmm. Uh, shouldn't they be friends with benefits or Imzadi or something like Billy Boy and Deanna Troy? I forgot about Billy. I Boy. Act- wow. <laughs> I actually
2: think that's probably sort of the best. Uh,
1: the best case scenario the be- for them.
2: Yeah, that's sort of like I. If they're anything, they're two. They're two. They're two guys who hook up. You know, regularly when, when they else? yeah when they don't have anything else going on.
1: He says, uh, I'm just saying that if one ship's doctor is willing to have sex with the candle ghost who bonked her own grandmother, Bashir shouldn't have any trouble with a deceptive Kardashian who's probably into some form of BDSM. I don't know that he is because I feel like that's bringing his work home.
2: Yeah, I could see that, definitely.
1: It's like porn stars are probably not into weird stuff. They probably want to come home and have vanilla sex with somebody they love. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, in conclusion, geez, way to go show from the 90s. How dare you not be radically progressive with controversial material? And how dare you not be more explicit in the portrayal of future head headcanon of some asshole from New Jersey who started kindergarten the month this episode aired? Like if this were Tumblr, I'd be calling the writers heterosexist, depressive, fascist devil pigs and some inappropriately vicious social justice tie. Oh, don't say social justice, man. I was on your team until then. Uh, because the context of 20th century network television be damned. Rant, rant, rant. A loyal listener. Oof. Thank you, sir. I- I, I'm with you for the most part, but I gotta say, Star Trek always positions itself as being, like, uh, progressive. And so I hold it to a higher standard. I get that it was the 90s, I get that they couldn't get away with stuff, but uh, Star Trek always says that it did that. Yeah, you, know you still I mean?
2: you, you still try.
1: Yeah. And I don't feel like they really try. No.
2: They tried back on TNG, but... Uh... A little bit. And then Rick Berman would kick the door in and... Uh... Ah, Berman mad! Men no like men!
1: Yeah, you know who says that usually? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Alright, moving on. Uh, this one comes from Adrian, yeah. who has been on the show before. I haven't heard from him in a while. Nice to hear from him. He says, hey guys, been a while. Uh, listening to your discussion that you won't remember. about how the <laughs> That's founders... accurate! Yeah. yeah. Uh, how the founders use the Vorda merely as tools and don't see them as anything else. It strikes me that in this way they're very similar to the wormhole aliens, which, much like the big one being Bitey and Frank Grimes being known to his friends as grimy, I will dub Wormies. <laughs> uh, until Sisko's supplication for the salvation of Bajor and the Alpha Quadrant, I'd argue that the Wormies, while not actively malevolent as the Founders, are equally egotistical and short-sighted in their views of other races. In this case, they love the fact that Bejor and its inhabitants worship them like gods, which Sisko awesomely throws back in their non-faces. They use Cisco as an emissary, but it's not until this moment that Cisco makes himself uh, more than a tool of their divine word and steps into more than a simple emissary and that of an active party in the Wormies' lives. Uh, am I wrong here? Am I looking at this too deeply? Or is this definitely a purposeful maneuver by the writers of the show to show a dichotomy of religion in the Star Trek universe? Thanks, guys. Keep up the good work, and may the Force be with you. Hmm. Um, I thought when I read this email, like he sent it, as, as he implied there quite some time ago, uh, that this was a really, really uh, insightful observation, and then the show itself directly called out the fact, <laughs> just laid it right out. The founders are gods, and and the the, the wormhole aliens are gods. Mm. And, uh, I'm not saying Adrian didn't have a, a deep, you know, observation on his own. I'm just saying the show then, are it also had that. Yes, so but um, it is an interesting point.
2: Yes, I never viewed the wormhole alien. Excuse me, the wormies as mm-hmm. um sort of like. I don't know, the idea of them enjoying being worshipped, I don't think has ever sort of come up. I think they sort of see Bajor as a, sort of a means to an end to sort of protect themselves. And they might sort of have, like, I don't know, benevolent views towards the planet. They're willing to kick them some magic orbs and uh, the occasional uh, Jesus person to help out, but... Uh, mm. You know, I never sort of th- saw them as taking too much of an intro. Other other than occasionally throwing garbage over the fence uh, for <laughs> the Bajorans to worship, I don't uh, really see them taking that active a role in the- in their lives, except for you know making uh, an army disappear.
1: Yeah, but that was when, as as Adrian pointed out, when Cisco intervened. Exactly. They weren't going to do that on their own. Yeah. Um, I don't know, cause like, it's easy to say. You can't really gra- like they're alien, and you can't really grasp what they're what they're doing. But that's also like kind of a lazy writing thing. Mm-hmm. We should be able to understand their motives, and I I don't know that I do. No,
2: I because on, like on the one hand they they
1: don't seem to take an
2: active role, but you know they do still talk to Cisco occasionally. They do have like genuine working religious artifacts that can let you travel through time and sneak into people's brains and stuff.
1: Yeah, and they, and they actively, like, they have made reference before to, you know, of Bejor. Like, yeah. they know Bajor as a concept. They yeah. are aware of that planet and its people.
2: So I don't know what the link there is, and I don't know if we ever actually find out.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think ahead, and I remember, like, there is a big resolution, and I won't spoil it. No. But there is a big resolution to the ongoing plot of the of the, the Prophets and now the pal Wraiths. Mm-hmm. But I can't remember if that any any of that clarifies what those guys are about. Yeah, or like why
2: they just sort of took an interest in Bejor, other than the fact that it's the planet that lives next door to them.
1: Right. It could be like, you know, um, what was it in that one Next Gen episode where Data says uh, uh, Q treats us like a master would treat a beloved pet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it might be a bit like that.
2: Aw, oh, Bejor. Yeah. Here's your head, Pat. Well,
1: look what we found
2: here have an orb of time
1: it is linear it's adorable (laughs) yeah i don't know it's it's interesting because the founders clearly have a plan yes absolutely unlike the robots on battlestar galactica they actually have a plan Mm -hmm. um i mean
2: it's pretty simple it's basically own everything but uh it's
1: it's basically uh impose order on the galaxy so people will leave us the fuck alone yes
2: so we can go back to fucking on our one planet
1: Yeah, in a in a giant ocean orgy. Yes, which you know that everything I love that everything they do is motivated by that. Yep, it's all just a big way to get people to leave them alone.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: We'll just we'll grow an army and we'll grow some administrators and make them go fight a war and we'll just stay out of it.
2: I guess we need ships and stuff. All right, you know what? Fucking go form a space empire. If you need anything, call here. Here's twenty
1: bucks. Go get a pizza. Yeah.
2: If you need anything, call. Don't call.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting way to look at it, and I don't know if it was deliberate mm. on the part of the the show writers because it's it's interesting to look at it in terms of, like, one is sort of an ethereal energy, like, who knows what they're doing, and the other is very clear, like, super fascist, like, you know exactly what they're up exactly, to. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So it is an interesting, like, contrast mm-hmm. if, if it's intentional. I don't know.
2: Would you say it was a dichotomy?
1: It could be a dichotomy. All right. Isn't that the same thing? Maybe. That's just a a contrast of two things. Let
2: me stall while I look up my dictionary.
1: <laughs> I would be impressed if you could spell dichotomy right on the first try. I'm not going to hold you to that. D-I-C. You can't. You still can't spell Bashir and O'Brien.
2: Yeah, but those are names. <laughs> names yeah, are hard. The- they don't make any sense.
1: Well, all right. I, I, for my part, in the Google Docs, it has been, I think, eleven total seasons of television now. I still type word and then backspace and type wharf <laughs> every single time.
2: That just makes me want to buy a copy of Wharf Perfect
1: <laughs> or Microsoft Wharf. Yes,
2: who would hopefully be a better father?
1: <laughs> Probably not. <clears throat> I am going to leave references to my personal life out of this right now.
2: Now I, uh, now I just want to see that paperclip with a Klingon forehead. <laughs> Were you trying to type that left?
1: Did you mean honor? <laughs> I know that's actually Google, but... You know. <laughs> All right. Uh, next one comes from Douglas. Like, I love it when we hear from new people. Yep. It always makes me happy. This is the best. Yeah. Uh, hey, pals. Oh. I know I haven't earned the right to call you pals yet. P-A-H-L-S. Uh, sure you have. Yeah. Or are your pals?
2: Yeah. If Scott Zioko can do it, then anyone can. I don't know that anyone. Yeah. Oh, man, that might make him feel bad. I'm sorry, Scott. <laughs> I really like talking to you about Gilgamesh this morning.
1: <laughs> Perhaps you're familiar with Babylonian epic of Gilgamesh. Because <laughs> I am not.
2: If bear hat fits. <clears throat>
1: uh, he says, I recently discovered your podcast thanks to Kotaku last year. Still, <laughs> That's still paying off dividends, by the way. So Thank you, cool. Kotaku guy. Uh, and I started from the beginning. Wow. And recently finished catching up on them. Wow! Oh
2: Jesus! I would like to take this time to apologize for the first uh, the first few
1: episodes. Oh, I wasn't even wowing for that. I was just wowing because that is like two. You know, we're up to two twenty two was the, our last episode plus yeah. all the supplementals. That's a lot of episodes. Uh huh. That is about two hundred and fifty odd podcasts to listen to, mm-hmm. and and running. I see that was me patting ourselves on the back while, oh. while we're at it. Also coming up on the five year anniversary. Just, just
2: yeah, that's. Going to be something? I don't know.
1: I, uh, I've really enjoyed your cast, and I'm somewhat sad that I have to wait a week between each episode now. Uh, I know it's going to be quite a while until your next supplemental, but I thought I'd throw this out there now that I'm caught up.
2: Well, before we go any further, let me ask you this. Did you know we do another podcast? <laughs> Did you know Al does another podcast also?
1: Yes, several. Yes. If, if you want to check those things out, feel free to do so. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just had a few quick thoughts. First, I'm really looking forward to you getting to Voyager. That was the Star Trek I mostly grew up with, being in high school for the last half of its run, and even though I know it's not the greatest Trek now looking back, and with watching some of it on Netflix recently, I really do think you'll be able to make some great shows with that material. It also helps that it's a weaker series in many respects, and I think some of your best work comes when you're not in love with the show. Also, I will jump in and defend Enterprise, at least the third and fourth seasons. The first two are snorefests, more keeping in line with Voyager, or the middle to low end of the rest of the franchise. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that first, because there's, there's whole like, separate subjects in different paragraphs here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, as I have said, partially as a joke, partially, seriously, I'm trying to keep an open mind. I'm keeping an open mind. Keeping an open mind. Keeping an open mind about Voyager.
2: And I don't care.
1: I will, I will, I will put this call out to the listeners, and I'm serious. When we get there, when we get to Voyager, Mm. if you have a solid defense, not just, but I liked it, but an actual defense against the points we're making, please write in. Yes. Like, I love hearing alternate viewpoints, and I fear when we get to Voyager that most of our regular contributors are going to feel the same way we do. And I don't want necessarily to be a negative show for two years plus. Like, yeah. You know, like, I'd love to hear an alternate viewpoint on that.
2: Yeah. Well, why do you have this fondness for this show? You know, like, please. Yeah.
1: And and I, I don't mean because I like it. I mean mm. an actual impact. Like, if I say, I think this plot was lazy because this and this and this. I think this character yeah. was weak. Then I want to hear you dispute that and and tell me why I'm wrong.
2: Yeah. Like at this point I can tell I can talk for an hour about why DS9 is my favorite Trek show.
1: Yeah. And if people want to pick that apart, like I I wouldn't mind hearing that argument either. Like yeah. it's it's not actually good because of the oh, Okay. Well, I don't agree, but all right. Mm. Like if if you can have an a, a spirited civil debate about it. I, the thing is, everyone I've heard defend Voyager so far always, always says, because I liked it when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I have yet to hear someone who was an adult, who was a Star Trek fan, who watched Voyager when they were an adult and said, "I this is my favorite one, I yeah. really like it. It's always like, eh, I liked it when I was 12 and I haven't seen it since, so I probably still like it. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I liked a lot of stuff when I was 12.
2: Yeah, a lot of stuff I'm not proud of. Or, and the, some the, stuff that I am, so. You know, yeah.
1: Um... Uh, our our friend Tidro, uh, her entire argument is, but Harry Kim is cute. Yeah, I, that's not enough for a TV show for me. I'm sorry. No, I've
2: I've heard that argument before too.
1: Yeah, I first of all, I don't know that I agree. He's not my type. No. Second of all, um, that's not enough. Pretty people are not enough to make a good show for me.
2: No, you can find them on most TV shows.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of crappy TV shows with a lot of pretty people on them. Mm-hmm. As that is just not enough. Uh, okay, going on with the, the rest of Douglas's email here. Second, I've really been enjoying Deep Space Nine, and I think it's some of the best Star Trek, but having watched most of the way through season six, I really feel that its competitor, Babylon 5, is a stronger show. at a few weak episodes through its run, the CGI looks atrocious, at least until you get used to it. And the fifth season is much worse than the first four thanks to studio interference. Matt slash the internet can catch you up on that story if you don't know it already. However, overall, I felt the series had a much tighter focus. Even with the various actors deciding to leave during its run, the show was able to maintain a tight continuity and keep an interesting serialized show running throughout. I know you're talking about doing Batman after you're done with Trek, which I have no problem with since it's a fine show. But I would love to hear your thoughts on Babylon 5 too. I think you would have some unique insights that the world deserves to know. There's further, but let's. Um, talk about it.
2: I, I make fun because I'm an asshole, but I actually like Babylon Five.
1: Um, I never finished
2: it. I think I bailed before the end, before the end of the fourth season, which is when apparently, uh, everyone bailed except for the show. <laughs> uh, what happened was they thought that they were gonna end at season four. They got another season, and so they had to. Uh, do it it out a little. Yeah, basically just like, uh, that war we've been fighting for four years sure is over. Um, What else can we do?
1: Well, and I know the big thing that that fans of that show told me at the time Mm -hmm. was that JMS had a strict five-year plan. Like, he wanted the whole show to be told in five seasons and apparently he had to rush that. Mm -hmm. This is, I mean, I could be wrong, but this is what I've heard. No,
2: that sounds about right.
1: He had to rush his original five-year plan into four years and then he he got his extra year anyway. He's like, "Shit, that was. I wish I'd had my five years the way I wanted them." Yeah,
2: but um, so. no, I actually I I've told this story before I think. But after I finished uh, going through my first run through DS9, when I started buying the uh, the DVDs, I finished that, and I was just desperate for more serialized sci-fi. So I tried D- or I tried Babylon Five, and you know, went from sort of like, eh, this is fine," to "This is actually pretty good." And then kind of just bailed on it mm. before I really finished it. Probably because I saw something shiny.
1: <laughs> I I give it credit. Like, I will absolutely give it credit. It was way ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. Serialized, particularly serialized genre stuff, but serialized in general outside of soap operas, was almost unheard of. It was, yeah. there, were, there were a few examples here and there. But it was almost unheard of back in those days, back in the early 90s when that show first started. That it deserves if nothing else huge credit for that. Mm-hmm. he had a plan he mostly stuck to his plan until outside forces made him have to abandon that, yeah. but he wanted five years and he wanted to tell his story in five years and I respect the hell out of that
0: mm-hmm.
1: production value wise it's not just the c g it's the caliber of actor they got. It's a lot of the set and 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 costume and alien design. there's just a lot of it really did not sit well with me. It felt very cheap. Mm-hmm. Not just that they didn't have a budget, but they didn't know how to spend the budget they had. Oh, uh, yeah. It felt very cheap, and that... I know I shouldn't be so shallow. If it's really well written, I should ignore that, but it's hard. It is hard. Star Trek does that sometimes, and I don't like it when it does it either. No, but at, at least, uh, you know, like, original
2: Trek looks cheap, but it's got that aesthetic that I like. Yeah, and... the The aesthetic of Babylon 5 is... yeah fine you know it's fine
1: i don't know older stuff i usually make apologies for whether that's fair or not i don't know like old doctor who it's like yeah okay that's fine but i don't know once you get into the 80s and the 90s i feel like people learned a few things and there's corners you can cut and there's you know Mm -hmm. there's ways to make super cheap shows look really good yes but again it's not just the way it looked it was the actors most of those actors felt very tv to me and i wish i could we should quantify this better, because we, we talk about this on Trek a lot, too, mm. where we get guest stars. The one that sticks out of my mind right now is, like, early <sighs> DS9, Season 1 or 2, where there was Quark's rival. Oh, yeah, right. Fucking, um... I don't remember who... Oh, right, the dude from uh, Princess Bride. Yeah, yeah. Where it was like, he should be so much better. Like, this is a cool idea for a character that completely fell flat, because that guy just was not charismatic. Yeah,
2: he's just like, nah, eh, whatever.
1: Or the outrageous Okana. There's another good example. It's it's that level of actor mm-hmm. that I don't feel is up to the standard that that you need for this kind of thing. Yeah, I I I'm keeping an open mind, but you're going to hear me make this argument about uh, Kate Mulgrew. I feel like she, my my take on her was that she did not have the presence, the gravitas, the you know, like just she didn't command a room. No, the, the way I feel like a captain should. Yeah, absolutely nothing to do with her being a woman. There are so many strong women I could think of that would do a fantastic job in that role. Yeah, I just I don't think she was it. Maybe I'm maybe I'm remembering wrong. I will. It has totally, definitely been
2: a long time since I've watched any Voyager. So
1: yes, I will absolutely open my mind to the fact that I am entirely wrong. Mm-hmm. We've been wrong a lot on this show.
2: I have seen like this is I follow a lot of Trek tumblers now
1: because
2: mm-hmm. of course I do because I'm me. Um, there's a lot of love out there for Janeway that if you had told me about back like five years ago, I never would have, uh, like I never would have bought. Well, so
1: I, I respect what Janeway represents. Absolutely. I mean, the, first, yeah. the first female captain, main female captain in Star Trek is a big deal. Mm-hmm. I I just specific. And, and the idea of a captain that's more of a scientist Yeah, is a cool idea. I just it's mostly Kate Mulgrew that I didn't like, yeah as as I recall this and the is, thing this is, is twenty year old memories, yeah
2: and she's not a bad actor either,
1: isn't she? I don't know
2: no, I, well, I mean she's on that orange is the new black and she's apparently pretty good on that
1: she I saw enough of it to know she plays a crazy over the top character and she does do it well, mm. but it's very cartoony.
2: she is also a regular character on in uh the Dragon Age games, which uh
1: is she good in those oh yeah. I know you're very familiar with them. Yes,
2: I mean it's okay. voice—it's voice acting and uh, the fuck do you call that? Um, motion, motion capture. capture. Thank you, yeah. but uh, but uh, yeah, no,
1: she's still quite good in those. Okay, we'll see. And and you went in with a bias against her, and you thought she's good. So yep. all right, so all right, good. <laughs>
2: so traveler, you've returned to the swamp. Is that Captain Janeway.
1: In um. Oh my God! Did system. Captain
2: Janeway just turn into a fucking dragon?
1: In Orange is the New Black, she plays uh, an old Russian, uh-huh. and she's very much got the, like, Natasha from Rocky and Bullwinkle, like, okay, darling. Okay, so
2: you were super into it then. <laughs> uh,
1: no, <laughs> but, I, but I respected it. It was, it was ridiculous, and she committed to the ridiculous, and she was good at it. But it wasn't nuanced acting at all. <laughs> it was crazy over the top. Um, but I, I we'll see. Again, maybe I'm wrong. But it, it, that's that's going back to Babylon Five. That was a big problem. Like everyone felt like they belonged on a soap opera, and I should be watching. Like one of their big pulls was Walter Koenig. Yeah. Let's you know. <laughs> let's be clear. Yeah. And uh, God, uh, Eddie Munster, I think, or maybe I'm thinking Eddie Munster. Good heavens. Might might not have been. No, 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 no. Billy Moomy, he uh, the kid from Lost in Space. That's oh yeah, yeah yeah okay. I knew it was somebody from a 60s show who played a kid, and I couldn't remember, but it was, it was Billy Moomy. Um And maybe he was good, I don't know. But, mm-hmm. like, these are the biggest names that they pulled. And that, yeah. not that fame is a is a reflection of talent, but you know what I mean. Yeah, fame. You're going to live forever? I hope not. You're going to learn how to fly? <laughs> That's how that goes, right? Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, last bit of this letter from Douglas. Finally, on my much longer-winded-than-intended letter, uh, well... Like us, if you get started talking about this stuff, you know. Yeah, I know how that goes. Uh, I've been a big fan of the Stargate franchise since not long after its inception, and humbly submit that giving it a shot at some point in the future as well. I think it's more evenly good than Star Trek, and while a long-runner as well, it has a lot of fun and is really quite enjoyable. If your only exposure is from the movie, you're really missing out. The three shows and two TV movies are quite different in tone from that snorefest of a cinematic release, and once again, I would love to hear your thoughts on these. Uh, I only ever saw the movie, so...
2: I haven't seen the movie. Um, I've watched a couple episodes of Stargate at my dad's house.
1: Oh, isn't he into that show?
2: Yeah, he's apparently a big Stargate fan, which... Who knew? Yeah. I mean, I can't fault him either. He's the reason I watched Star Trek. Is he? Yeah.
1: I don't think I knew that. He
2: used to watch it back when... I used to watch it with him back uh, when I was a little kid. Huh. Yeah. Original series? Original series and uh, later TNG. Really? Although <laughs> although I couldn't always finish them because occasionally there would be skeletons.
1: <laughs> right.
2: I believe we were watching uh, uh, the Royale, mm-hmm. and there was a very scary skeleton in that episode. <laughs> I
1: remember us discussing that when we when we did that episode. Actually. Yep. Um, I don't know. Like, okay. The thing is, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna cop to something here that I don't know if I've admitted this before. Um, the the most well received thing I have ever produced, like ever so far, is my YouTube reviews of Transformers episodes. <laughs> be that be, be you know, take that for what it's worth. But of the things that I've tried, that's the thing that's gotten like I got thousands of hits. I got lots of like very nice comments, like almost no negative comments on YouTube, which mm-hmm. is unheard of. But I did uh 98 episodes plus I split the movie in three, so over a hundred of those, and then I did the Japanese series, and now I'm doing GI Joe, and those go over really well. Um, and I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, well, at the time I was wrapping that up, and was like. What is it that people respond to about that? What do they what do they like? Like, it was very calculated move on my part. And I said, well, I do humor, but I also love it. Mm -hmm. Like, it's something I love, but also gets a little cheesy and I can make fun of it. And that was the genesis of this show. Yeah. I went to Matt, who is just as passionate about Star Trek as I am, as you know. And I said, what do you think about doing this? And he said, yeah, why not? And we, it was baby steps. We didn't commit to doing all of it at first. We said, let's get through the original series, see how we feel, yeah. and went from there. But it was a very calculated move in that I wanted to, like, what was working for me, what people seemed to like and what I enjoyed doing was commentary, humorous commentary on something that I both loved but also could make fun of. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the, the equation for me. That's the kind of show I want to do. I don't want to do a show I've never seen before. I don't want to do a show I don't have anything invested in or a show that I know I'm going to hate. I I want to review something that I love, but also that
2: there are that I don't... flaws with that yeah, you That I don't
1: take so seriously that I can't make fun of it. Yeah. Because we are, you know, comedians above all.
2: Yeah. My my thing was like I went looking for Trek podcasts and so many of them are just so serious and boring.
1: Well, we've had I've, I've had reports of people not listening to us because we don't take it seriously enough, and I am totally fine with that because we're not going to change, and if you if you want that, this is not the show for you.
2: Yeah, no, there's pl- you have plenty of other options out there.
1: And that is a valid criticism? None of them, them are I, as good as
2: this show, but... Uh... I,
1: I can't say that. First of all, I haven't listened to them. Second of all, I would never say that. But you can say. Oh, I will. I I don't know. I know, uh, to my knowledge, no review show has gotten as far as we have. No. I could be wrong, but I haven't found one. Um, but no, I like what we bring to this, because we love it. But we're also, we like to make jokes about it and goof on it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's fun. That is a unique combination of fun that, I, like, I don't feel that way toward a lot of stuff. Not really, no. Most of the things I'm passionate about are comedy.
2: Yeah. The which, only other thing I sort of feel that way about, I started a column about.
1: Yeah, you're you're writing about comics now that yeah. you, you feel that way about. It. But it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's that same combination of of funny commentary, but also when it's something very cool, you say, this is cool. Yeah. It's because I think that's what I mean. I don't want to speak for the audience, but I think that's what people respond to. People like that when, while we're goofing on it, it's not a full MST3K thing where we just hate it. Yeah, it's, we are passionate about it,
2: and, and when and we do hate it, it's because we're it's because, because we're so invested. We that know it, you can do better.
1: Yeah, we're not mad. We're just disappointed. Yeah, particularly on this show on DS9 mm-hmm. because we we've seen the heights it can get to. And then when it serves up something that we hate, it's like, you guys know better. Come, Come on. on. So, Seriously? Yeah, I... Quark in a dress? You thought that was a good idea? Who thought this was a good idea? Really, Deep
2: Space Nine? But that's really? Why I,
1: that's why I wouldn't do a review show about Babylon 5 or Stargate or anything like yeah. that. That's why when people who've watched my Transformers stuff say, why don't you do Beast Wars? Why don't you do the subsequent shows? Because I don't have anything invested in those. Mm-hmm. So. I, I bonded with the 80s show that, that was my that was my thing growing up. That's yeah. my thing. And Star Trek is the same way, and yeah. that's why I'm a little hesitant to keep going into Voyager and Enterprise, because if we yeah. are going to not like them, do we really want to do almost four years of just negative, like, do we want it to feel like work?
2: Listen, we made that pact on our parents' grave. I know. In the rain.
1: I know. My mom was not very happy about <laughs> that, but I know.
2: What's going on out here?
1: Nothing. Just making a making a vow on your grave. Don't worry about what? it. What? <laughs> Go back inside. It's raining. <laughs> God, mother. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that is, that is why. It's not even, like, I might like Babylon 5 if I gave it another shot. I, mm. I doubt I would, but I might. Um, but I don't know that. And I don't want to commit to anything if I don't know it has that, that combination yeah. of stuff. Uh, anyway, he says, P.S. I love Matt's Gul impression, Major, for the good of the Bajoran people.
2: Thank you, Major. For the good of the Bajoran people, we acknowledge your letter to the Cardassian Empire. <coughs> major.
1: It's like he's sitting right here. Now and I'm
2: going to go crazy for a while.
1: And doing an entirely different voice that sounds nothing like it.
2: Has that. anybody seen my Napoleon hat? So that's blah, the other blah, thing. Blah, you... blah, major. That's the other thing. you got to hit the words weird because he's pronounced. The people of Bajor. Yep. They could have seen me as a hero. But instead, they saw me as a monster.
1: Valen. <laughs> uh Next one comes from Sean, and he says, Hi, Alan Matt. Hi, Sean. Uh, thanks. Sorry for the pressure, but that's just what I was looking for when I wrote my email Friday. Oh, this is the guy who wrote in when Leonard Nimoy died. Oh, yeah. And said, say something nice about Leonard Nimoy. Go! <laughs> <laughs> he didn't say that, but that's how we read it. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> uh, he was a good man. Here, here. We're turning to you guys as the Star Trek experts. Uh, now, say something about the these single symbol of all of Star Trek. Say something nice, go.
2: Uh, great Hobbit song. Uh, uh, um, something about laser discs.
1: He said, On Friday, I felt like Matt said he felt, more emotional than I ever get over a celebrity and feeling like a piece of my childhood died. By the end of the weekend, during which I watched five original series episodes and Wrath of Khan, I was at the acceptance stage. I can now appreciate the long life he had and all his many accomplishments. Anyway, thanks again. In your wonderful, understated way, you gave me exactly what I was looking for. I could not be more grateful.
2: Oh, Oh, good. Thanks, Matt.
1: Uh, P.S. Please say thanks to Amanda as well. She nailed it when she talked about wishing he was still here to complete the projects he was currently working on when he passed. A part of me still feels that way. Yeah, I I will certainly pass that along. Thank you, Amanda. If I see her. Uh, (laughs) She's out of town, which is why we're recording this. Oh, well,
2: fuck. She might be here, actually. Let me just yell out the window.
1: Yeah, okay. (laughs) Amanda <laughs> Are you Amanda from Canada? Okay. Do you know Matt? Uh, this one comes from Mark, uh, not not Mark like my friend Bob, not Mark my other friend Mark, a different Mark.
2: Not my friend Mark either.
1: No, no. Or my different. brother Mark? All other Marks. Uh hi Alan Matt, I was listening to your statistical probabilities episode and you mentioned all of humanity being on the honor system. I seriously think that's basically the deal, but at the same time, I notice that people in the Federation, at least in Starfleet, have a remarkable lack of privacy. Just consider how often one of the doctors blabs someone's health information to the captain and other superior officers. Heck, people don't even seem to get privacy screens during medical exams. Uh, Granted, they're not naked, but their DNA, vital signs, and other internal readabouts. uh, Readouts. He didn't write readabouts. I just read readabouts. (laughs) I kind of like readabout, actually. Internal readabouts. (laughs) are seemingly displayed to anyone who cares to stroll into sickbay. To me, it seems like the Federation, or at least Earth, has a bit of a if-you-have-nothing-to-hide-why-would-you-want-privacy mentality. Mm -hmm. Regarding the honor system, still on the medical side of things, look at doctors and romance. Well, specifically Bashir and romance. There seem to be no ethical rules about doctor-patient romantic relationships, at least not effective rules. There's one episode in Season 7 that I could rant about for days. I look forward to your opinion when we get there. Oh, right. Uh, the... yeah.
2: The, uh, follow-up to... It's the the statistical probabilities is the... Yeah, uh, genetically altered one. Yes.
1: Yes, this is the follow up to that one, as I recall. Right, right, right. If if that's the one he's he's talking about. But yes, uh, yes, the follow up. Of course, yes, yes. yes.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, my theory of Trek medical ethics is that doctors are allowed to date patients as long as the patient isn't being exploited. And, of course, the fine upstanding doctors of the future can be trusted to make that assessment for themselves. They would never be biased. Their objectivity would never be compromised. And, of course, they'd never actively be malicious. I don't know if he means that sarcastically. I'm just reading it sarcastically. Mm. Uh, I'm loving your Season 6 reviews so far and will probably send more email when the mood strikes me. Uh, he did, and we have further email later, but we'll get to that later. Excellent. Um, yeah, I I agree with all that. I don't, I don't know. I feel like I'd love to drill into that and say that they mean, like they meant to create this whole culture that is a certain way but i'm pretty sure most of that's lazy writing yeah i hate to say that but it it feels like whenever they want bashir to have a love interest they okay well let's see he works in sick bay so maybe she came down to sick bay yeah like i don't think they put that much thought into it i could be wrong yeah but it's it sort of feels like oh how do we give the captain a love interest well he's he's on a ship so i guess we're going to have to make her an underling
2: yeah that'll work question mark <laughs>
1: But you know, it's 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 more, I think, a function of the drama mm. than it is like a an active. Like I don't, I don't know that they've thought it out that much. I think yeah. Mark here has thought it out way more than uh, than they have.
2: Um, I do like his uh, uh, lack of privacy in the Federation, which is something. As soon as he said it, sounded very. Uh, that sounds very spot on to me, honestly.
1: Do you think? Yeah. Like, I, like honestly. Okay. Before DS9, we had almost no indication of what Earth is like or the rest of the Federation outside of the military at all. Mm -hmm. So we really only have, like, those episodes where they went back to Earth where the government goes crazy and starts, like, taking too much power. Yeah. I don't know that that's a good indicator because it was treated like something that doesn't usually happen.
2: It just, it feels like, it feels like something that, like, you know, people of Earth are, for the most part, what we've seen, generally, you know pretty decent, trustworthy people. It's
1: kind of the point of... Uh, well, we we scoff at Gene's ideal future, but really, they mostly try to live up to that.
2: That's sort Yeah, it's that's sort of, you know, that's sort that's of what the, the people of the Federation are like.
1: That's the central premise of, of the Federation, yeah. It's that humankind has evolved beyond all this awful stuff, and for the most part, we're good people.
2: And I could totally see the government being all like, well, these people are all trustworthy, and if they're not, well...
1: They have nothing to hide, right? Yeah, exactly. And if they're criminals, yeah. But that's, yeah, that's, so we, that's also a, a bit Patriot Act.
2: Yeah. I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm just, saying, it's, I'm just saying it sounds very Federation to me. Okay. But, the, the view I have of the Federation at this point.
1: Okay. But let me ask you this. If DS9 had not led you there, mm. would you see it that way? Just based on next gen. If you didn't have DS9 to change, you know, to, to, to make you see it that way. Probably eh,
2: Probably not. Although, like you said, we don't see a whole lot of Earth. And definitely right. don't see anything outside of uh, no, Starfleet.
1: And, and, I mean, like, Picard went home to the vineyard, but that is such a self-contained world. Yeah. Th- that th- was, like, it was still, like, the 1600s there.
2: Yes. It's not how we make wine like that here. At the Picard Vineyards.
1: There's a California champagne made by Paul Masson. <laughs> I'd ah. buy that same French excellence, Jean Luc.
2: Yeah, Jean Luc,
1: come roll in the mud with me. <clears throat> Old man, <band> fight. <laughs> but it's you know we we've seen so little of it. Mm-hmm. It's it's hard to say, and without DS Nine making a, an explicit story about how your your paradise has to be this, mm-hmm. like I, which I like a lot. Yeah. I'm not. I don't mean to mock that. No, I
2: just the the, the the con and the idea. To me also is that, you know, unless it was pointed out to anyone in the Federation, they kind of wouldn't notice. It's just like, well, of course, (laughs) of of course they have access to my records. Why would I? Why would I be worried about that? I have nothing to I have nothing to worry about.
1: Right. And it's an interesting way for the DS9 writers to say, like, to to create a story where you have like Quark, like you, you have these goody goody people. So then you can have a character like Quark look at that and say, "Ugh,
2: what is wrong with you people?
1: Right. And it's not necessarily a commentary on humanity so much as it is like these characters are this way and these characters are this way. Yeah. And it's just easier to tell a story that way. So I don't, I don't know. Like I, then you get into the whole like political theory of like to have order, do you have to have like a government that watches its people? Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I, I, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Like because uh, I don't know, I don't know. I, I without getting super political, I don't know. Yeah. I know. I, I mean, my fundamental understanding is because of like replicator technology and stuff like that the idea of of resources like the main thing we disagreed and fought over is gone yeah which means so many problems go away mm-hmm. and if you if you take that away we basically become a socialist paradise but beyond that i i don't know how it works i i, I don't know mm-hmm. we never find out no
2: that's because if you pull at that string, the entire thing falls apart. Uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, because, in fairness, in fairness to Gene and all those original guys that the, this is all built on, mm. we were never meant to go to Earth. The whole premise of the story was that we're out in space. Yeah. Like, occasionally they'd go back to Earth, but it was usually an alternate Earth or back in time. or uh, know, then, something.
2: then they could just be all like, oh, well, is this how we did things in the 60s? Right.
1: But uh, you, know, you barbarians are still fighting Vietnam! <laughs> But even putting aside Gene's, like, retro, you know, like, his retroactive explanation for, like, oh, yeah, we always meant to be forward-looking. No, the, the thing is, the show is set in space. It's called Star Trek. Mm-hmm. They're going other places. So Earth was never the point. Yeah. And because of that, I think they built it on some premises that were never meant to be picked at too closely. Yeah, that, And that's fair. I get that. Like, why would you? So that said, yeah, they've kind of boxed themselves into a corner. Mm-hmm. They are They are a bit... You know, unethical, I would say, in in ways. Yes. But what are you going to do?
2: Talk about it on our podcast a lot.
1: I guess. That's what we're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, next one comes from Alice. It's another long one, but it's another really good thought-provoking one here. Uh-huh. Uh, I've always been impressed with the way you guys pick on women's issues in Star Trek that a lot of people don't notice, and your willingness to devote show time to informed and intelligent discussions about said issues. However, oh, man, <laughs> there's a however. <laughs> I was so happy. You can just stop reading there. Yeah. Uh, no, I, that's something we've tried really hard. That's like,
2: always been kind of a. Ever you... since we re, ever since we realized how um, not great for Star feminism Trek Star Trek was, yeah, uh, it's something that's kind of been super important to
1: us. Well, and you guys have probably noticed when when Amanda, my wife, is on the show once a season, she has a fairly strong feminist viewpoint, and. I spent a lot of time talking to her about stuff and it's, it's rubbed off on me. I, I look uh-huh. at things more that way than I used to. Yep. And that is certainly not a bad thing. And and Matt, she's one of your best friends as well as several other people who think the same way. Uh-huh. We, we are surrounded by people who have opened our eyes to this. Yes. Thing. We try our best. We are too, you know, <laughs> Matt's in his thirties. I'm in my forties. We are mostly straight. As we said earlier, white guys, like there's, there's a lot of privilege. There's a lot of bias, but we try. Yeah. We, we may get it wrong, and... We probably um, do. I'm happy if you call us out on it, that's yeah. fine, but we, we, we try our best. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, however, yes. there's one issue that has come up several times on Star Trek that I don't believe you discussed. Oh, so it's not even we got it wrong, it's just we haven't talked about All it. All right. Uh, and that is childbirth. Huh. Specifically, the position, both physical uh, and in terms of authority, of the mother during labor. Almost every time we see a woman giving birth on Star Trek, she's lying on her back with her knees in the air, presenting an unobstructed view to the man delivering the baby. The man gives her a bunch of instructions about how to breathe and when to push. In Friday's Child, when I don't remember how to say this character's name, Eileen, it was uh, Julie Newmar, as I recall. Yeah, yeah. But I don't remember. Like, she wrote it here correctly, but I don't know how to say it. Yeah, pregnant woman Uh, up a hill yeah refuses to allow dr mccoy to touch her belly he says now you listen to me young woman i'll touch you in any way or manner that's my professional judgment indicates Mm -hmm. then after she slaps him twice i do remember that yep to try to get him to stop touching her in a way that she finds objectionable he slaps her across the face stunning her into submission Mm -hmm. when he tells her that the baby could come anytime she asks him how he knows that and he replies quite rudely because i'm a doctor that's how i know Uh, Since he has the fancy degree, she needs to do whatever he says in order to make it as easy as possible for him to do his job The thing is, he has by far the easiest job in this process She goes on to give birth lying on her back for McCoy's baby-catching convenience Do you know that this is the second most difficult position in which to push a person out of yourself? Uh, The first is standing on your head (laughs) Okay that was the future as predicted in the 60s. In TNG and DS9, the baby catchers are a lot less violent and give their orders much more politely, but they still do things like tell the mother to bear down when she feels the uncomfortable urge to push. Gee, thanks for the advice, warf, I'm sure Keiko never would have thought of that. And most infuriatingly of all, at least for me, is that the mothers are still lying on their backs and pushing against gravity. Doctors dictating mothers' birthing positions and coercing them into accepting medical conventions against their wishes is a huge problem for women and babies in the 21st century. I would hope by the 24th century doctors will be trained to encourage the mother to find the position that works for her be that standing up sitting down kneeling getting on all fours being underwater lying down standing on her head or some kind of ridiculous futuristic perinatal unicycle <laughs> and then respect the mother's ability to listen to what her body is telling her and just go with it even if it means Bashir gets a little back pain from crouching behind a standing woman to catch the baby
2: Wasn't the perinatal ba- uh wasn't the perinatal back scratcher the uh, way that the Skywalker kids were delivered in episode
1: 3 Uh she says perinatal unicycle Oh but uh, I yeah, still think it, I'm pretty. I I still think I'm pretty close here. Yeah, it, it was it was a bit of a back scratcher, as I recall. Mm-hmm. Big sort of stiff, like finger, like like a rake. The vaginal scoop too. Don't yeah. forget that. No, it was like a, it was like a a a, a leaf rake, mm-hmm. like a big jaggedy. I, I don't know. I don't know because I bet some Star Wars like super deep Star Wars nerd could explain how it's supposed to work and it may have a sensible thing. We'll out. look it up on Wikipedia. <laughs> I love that it's called Wikipedia. Uh, let's see. She says, There is one birth scene that doesn't completely piss me off, but sadly, it's one of the worst Star Trek episodes ever made. When Dr. Pulaski delivers Deanna Troy's alien rape baby no. and her child. Yeah. She respects Troy's decision to have data with her in the delivery room, even though she disagrees with it. She offers Troy pain medication one time and then never brings it up again after Troy declines. She never once tells Troy when to push, though she does tell her how to breathe, and her delivery room is even equipped with a chair for Troy to give birth in. Anyway. This has been bothering me since I started watching Star Trek again as an adult, after taking exactly one college women and gender studies course, so I thought I'd put that out there. Uh, yours in Surak, Alice. Oh.
0: Yeah,
1: okay. It is something we haven't discussed. It
2: is. Um, first of all, I'm going to tell you this. I could not know
1: less about childbirth. I don't know nothing about birth and no babies. <laughs> I did not that mean for that to be racist. That was just a movie quote. <laughs> from a very racist movie. <laughs> that was from Gone with the Wind. Sorry. <laughs>
2: Again, uh, as a, as a male person, yeah, who, sometimes uh, w- uh... who uh, when pregnant people are about tries to sp- ha- tries to be as far away from them as possible, because yes, you can drop a baby from inside its mother.
1: I I I don't like yeah. Eh? I am also very ignorant of this issue. Both of us are very clearly on the record as not wanting children, mm-hmm. not particularly interested in children, I, I...
2: <laughs> except for their toys. I will play with their toys, <laughs> but um. Uh, first of all, I, um, I assume the, uh, the on the back thing is just cause, you know, TV. Yeah,
1: that's lazy TV. I don't think that's Star Trek. I think that's, like, every, like, if you call that out as being wrong, Alice, you are obviously more qualified than I am Mm -hmm. as, I, I, I believe you probably have a womb. Mm -hmm. Or, if anything, you took a college class. You said that. I don't want to make any assumptions otherwise. But, uh, you, you obviously... I don't know. Like I, th- it looks like the way I've seen babies delivered in movies. Mm-hmm. If that's also wrong, it's wrong in the same way. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, it, it does seem like weightlessness should enter into it somewhere. Like, yep. If, as she says, the problem is fighting gravity, then fucking turn the gravity off. Yep. <laughs> that would that would fix that. Mm-hmm. Might make it worse. I
2: don't know. I don't. I, I, as I, far as I know, there have been no children born in zero gravity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like. Not that I would have heard about that, because that is not a thing I would be even close to giving a shit about.
1: Uh, I would, from a from a purely scientific, curious-about-how-humans-work standpoint, I would absolutely be curious. And apparently people have had sex up there. That's apparently. cool. Apparently, because the Russians sent a lot of women up there. Like, we didn't for a long time. Mm. But the Russians, I believe, were sending them up before we were, and I'm pretty sure they were up there, like, in pairs. <laughs> And I'm I I could be remembering this wrong, but I'm pretty sure they they did it. Because how could you? Even if you're not into the other person, uh, yeah, no, you you. Come on, we really... have a unique opportunity here. Yeah, <laughs> we can be the first humans ever. Let's just just close your eyes and think of Mother Russia, okay?
2: From the little bit I know about uh, from the little bit I know about uh, uh, zero gravity. And the way it works, uh, jerking off alone would probably be enough to send you flying across the shuttle, which sounds pretty fun, actually.
1: Do you mean ejaculating or the actual? No, ejaculating. Fire? Oh, yeah. Just yeah. like, <laughs> woo! Yeah. What, well, because it like spitting or peeing or whatever, like any kind of something coming out of you with force. Yep. Does that, yeah. It's, it's basic physics. Yeah, I, I, but it, it also probably opens up a whole bunch of positions and things.
2: Sorry, in my head, I'm just picturing him flying around the, uh, around in zero gravity with the Jetsons noise playing.
1: <laughs> well, and and liquids form into little like spheres that yep. float around. So there's that. So you got like a whole bubble tea thing happening. Ugh. So yeah, right, listen. <laughs> <sighs> She brought up pregnancy, so we got to talk about how pregnancy happens. So th- yep. this is Alice's fault. It's not our fault.
2: <laughs> I think my real problem is that bubble tea is gross. Yeah, I agree.
1: No, um, the, but I, I honestly, like, I'm going to have to take her word for it. Yep. I don't know. If if it is handling pregnancy, uh, you know, like, um, uh, insensitively, it's doing it in the same way all other TV and movies do, which is probably still a problem. Mostly because it was
2: probably written by men. And directed be, by men. Yeah,
1: it's more the directing. I think the writing probably just says and she gives birth. Yeah, the director I think decides where the actors go and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, know. as for Bones, yeah, you're right. That's horrible. It is.
2: It's also I, it was
1: also you know
2: the sixties.
1: I but I do remember how that episode played out, and I do remember her being in a, in a fairly strong position. Like like for that show, you have to make corrections. Before that show, she was one of the stronger women on that show. Yes. And the idea was that, that they were bickering as more or less equals. And the only thing he had over her was, well, I'm a doctor, you gotta listen to me. But, like, I, and that doesn't that an excuse what he does, but I'm saying you have two very antagonistic characters, mm-hmm. you know, coming up against each other. I think it was more that and less that he was a, you know, a horrible misogynist, I hope.
2: I would like to believe that, you know. He just, as, he just picks as, fights with everybody. As the best character on that show.
1: Yeah as possibly my favorite character in all of Star Trek. Mm. I'd like to think he doesn't hate women. Yes. No, I I've seen little evidence of that beyond, you know, just sort of like standard how everyone was written in the 60s stuff that you can Yeah. you excuse.
2: know. It's like your grandpa. Uh,
1: yeah. Uh, he's going to be a little racist sometimes. Yeah. It's just like I'm sorry, but Yeah. <laughs> no. Um but like I said, I don't, I don't know. Like that's a, it's a good point, mm-hmm. but I, I will, I do seem to recall in 2009 Star Trek that, uh, uh, baby Jim Kirk was delivered by a woman at least. Yep.
2: Um, I do not remember what position she was in. I, it
1: was a lot of ups. Yes. So I, I, but they, they may have, I'm pretty sure she was lying on her back.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I will bring this up and I probably have talked about this before. What about beaming the baby out? I don't know. How about we just do that?
1: I mean, if you can beam a baby from one woman's uterus to another woman to an alien species' yeah. uterus, then yeah, presumably you can just deliver the baby that way. Mm-hmm.
2: Seems like it would solve a lot of problems.
1: But that was an emergency situation. I get the feeling it had never been tried before. It was Bashir, whoever did, actually did that, was just like, ah, oh, fuck, what do I do? What can I do? What can I do? With this. Yeah. Okay. Like, it was not a regular procedure.
2: No, my my thinking is like as soon as and I have no idea if we've talked about this before but it seems like we must have um as soon as transporter technology has reached the point where it's in common usage mm-hmm. like throughout like throughout Starfleet at the very least you're going to have Starfleet medical guys going okay how can we use this for surgery? Cuz if yeah. we can ease if we can beam an organ out of someone and beam another organ in without actually opening them um that's good.
1: Yeah. Um I don't know. I mean the thing about surgery is, you know, surgery is always used as a metaphor for precision. Like everything has to be perfect mm-hmm. for surgery. But on the other hand, well, transporters are transporting conscious beings uh you know on a molecular level. Yeah, so presumably that's you don't precise. get
2: much more precise than re- arra- than uh correctly reassembling someone's molecules.
1: Yeah, billions and billions of tiny particles in exactly the right order. Yeah. That is a good point. I don't know. I mean, again, the real answer is I don't know. They didn't want to show shuttles, and they came up with this dumb thing. Mm-hmm. But you do have to kind of extrapolate. Well, what does that mean, though? Yeah. And I, I don't know. That is an interesting thing. I know some podcast that wasn't ours once uh, talked about how people uh, just beam the waste out of themselves. Yep. That wasn't our joke. No. Nope. Pretty fun. Seems like a good idea, though. Uh, I don't know. Is pooping really that big of a of a hassle?
2: <sighs> I don't know if it's a hassle.
1: Like, more so than walking over to the transporter and setting it to do that? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't I don't see how it's any less, you know, less effort.
2: I'm, I'm, that... I'm, I'm legit thinking about this now. It's like,
1: hmm. Yeah, I don't know.
2: How much do I want to talk about my pooping habits on this show?
1: <laughs> none. Mm-hmm. Let's just say none. <laughs> if you'd like um... to hear
2: more about my pooping habits, post Atomic Horror at... And...
1: Uh, let, let, you could produce the spin-off show The Poop Atomic Horror
2: It's a pretty good title It's really
1: not It's a pretty uh, great title Al Next one is from Lauren All And it right. says uh, Hi again Hi. Uh, I've been really enjoying your show I'm definitely looking forward to your upcoming reviews Of some of my favorite episodes of DS9 I must admit that said reviews have compelled me To go back and revisit the individual episodes myself And much to my surprise I've often found myself Coming around to your way of thinking on them Yes this has gone both ways, whether it's my rediscovery of gems like Homefront called Arms, Rocks and Shoals, and Waltz, or my newly found distaste for shows that I thoroughly enjoyed just a few years ago like Body Parts, Empoch nor the Magnificent Ferengi, or even a couple of next gen episodes, Brothers Unification in particular. I would very much like to thank you, Alan Matt, for challenging my intellect and personal opinions. It appears I'm becoming more and more human every day. <laughs> We're not trying to necessarily sell you on our opinions, but uh, you know, look.
2: But we are right, and uh, the sooner you, the, the sooner you realize that, the sooner everyone, the sooner and much more happier everyone will be.
1: It's it's the only real trouble you have there is when Matt and I disagree. Then what are you supposed to think?
2: Luckily, we very rarely do, or if we do, I don't talk about it so that I can save us an argument.
1: I think you've gotten better at that <laughs> because it, it, it makes for better discussion when we like disagree we don't have to argue
2: well i suppose if that's what you think al i really can't. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no what i had to do is look at your notes and see what you think so that i actually see what you think yep and then say well your notes said this matt so what do you think about that i'm mad about it okay good that was dumb i, they know, should, I try they should I, feel dumb about it i try my best to do the host thing and say this is your opinion let's let's hear it like i may not always do that Successfully, but I tried. Um, he goes on. And speaking of good and bad episodes, I'd be very interested to know just how you would rank all the ones featuring the character Sloane, even if it means I'll have to wait till you finish with season seven. Keep up the great work. Uh, oh, um, I,
2: the what do you call it? Uh, this, the this section section thirty one guy. guy. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I know. I know he comes back. I was not aware that he came I back a lot. I thought he
2: came back w- once.
1: Like no, I think he comes back at least twice, but okay. I, I don't know.
2: Um. Well, we will definitely.
1: You Let will you, hear that. Stay yeah. tuned, True Believers.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, next one comes from Mark again. Same, same Mark as before. Not any of those other Marks, still the same Mark.
2: Too many marks.
1: Uh, hi, Alan Matt. I just finished listening to your reviews of Wrongs Darker Than Death or Night and Inquisition. Interesting discussion as always. I would disagree that Sloane's testing of Julian was just a test. Uh, What you mentioned toward the end of the Inquisition review is one of the elements that sticks with me the most. Sloan was using sleep deprivation, food deprivation, gaslighting on Julian throughout the episode. Julian was deliberately tortured by Sloan in an attempt to discover whether he was a spy. I think the episode acknowledges that and takes it seriously. I agree with that. Mm. This was my complaint, so I feel like I should speak to this. Um, it, it, It is an oversimplification. It is definitely an oversimplification. But what I meant narratively was so many Star Trek episodes present you with a situation that is then not real because someone was testing. Them. Yeah,
2: it's it, it always feels like a cop-out because it, it always seems to end with some with the holodeck fading, someone walking into the room doing the slow clap and going, well, Doctor, now now we see what you're really made of.
1: Right, and the first time that happened on Next Gen, it was cool. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, wow, it was the holodeck. And every now and then they'll deal with it in a really cool way, like in uh, Ship in a Bottle. Mm-hmm. Well, it was the holodeck, but it's still the holodeck. Like, that was interesting on a few different levels. But it's still, narratively, I don't like the bait and switch. I don't like the, you think it's this way, but it's this way. All that does is train you to constantly not believe anything you see and not take it seriously because you know the twist is coming. Yeah. That's what I don't like. I, I get, you, you make valid points here that, that, yes, there was more to it than that, and you're right. I was, I was being very reductive in just sort of lumping it in, in that category of, uh, nothing is as it seems, again. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of that, as I recall, in Braga's writing, and I'm curious if it shows up in Voyager a lot. Mm-hmm. A lot of, well, you think it's this, but then it's not. Or time travel made it all go back to normal. Mm-hmm. Or whatever.
2: Or particles and temporal particles... Uh-huh. Something just, crazy space ghosts.
1: I don't like when I spend 40 minutes getting invested in a thing that the last five minutes then tell me, never mind, it never happened. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Uh, I, I, think, I think the way to fix that in episodes like this, I think you could tell exactly the same story. You could just tell us early. Tell the audience. Like, don't fool us. Yeah. Fool Julian, but give us the knowledge. Mm-hmm. Then that makes it a different kind of story, and it doesn't make me feel quite so gypped. Yeah. Uh, next one comes from Rod Tenzel again and he says Dear Matt now, So is season six some bizarre high action soap opera? It has the tropes The cast is huge Characters have evil twins in the mirror universe <laughs> And Alexander even suffers from rapid aging syndrome <laughs> Heck, Captain Cisco even uh, keeps ending up in some sort of coma with the way the prophets keep messing with his mind Am I crazy? Probably But how crazy? You might have a point Yeah, there's definitely a soap opera e aspect yep, to it Yeah,
2: or you just may be a luna- the lunatic I'm looking for <sighs>
1: Uh Yeah, I mean, I don't know how to answer... Like, I love the extended cast, I love the ongoing drama, and those are very soap opera staples.
2: People badmouth, uh, you know, soap opera stuff, but there's st- there's a lot of stuff in there that gets into, you know, serialized TV that I actually like.
1: Well, that's the thing. It's the serialized part that you like. It's yeah. the melodrama that you don't particularly care for. Well, it depends on how it's executed. Like, I like... I will admit this, it is a guilty pleasure, but I will fully admit, I like Downton Abbey. It is a, like... The thing people don't get is they think it's a serious period drama. It's not. It's a melodrama. It is just melodramatic as hell. <laughs> and once you realize that, like, you, I don't think you'd like it, man, regardless. But...
2: <laughs> it, it, call me if there's a monster or a serial, kill, serial yeah, killer no, on there's it. Not. Otherwise, I don't give a shit. Uh, maybe there'd be a serial killer. I don't know. Or Batman. That'd be fine, too.
1: There was an amnesiac. That's Some...
2: not That's not a monster. That man is in deep trouble, Al.
1: And it is wrong for you to mock him, so... Alright. The thing is, that show is, like, not even a full step, like a half step removed from having someone tie someone to the railroad tracks. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It's it's very much, like, and I think it's clever because it's set in the 20s, and that's the kind of thing people watched in the 20s? Yeah. I like that. But anyway, I'm not, like, what I'm saying is I'm kind of defending like, melodramatic serial is what I'm saying. Like, it works. Mm-hmm. And for sci-fi... It could be really fun. Yep, and you know, I—I I don't know. I enjoy it.
2: Yeah, no, you are not wrong. It's we 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 like those things.
1: Yeah, and I've I've been told, or I've kind of gleaned this from people. Uh, again, coming back to Voyager, I'm thinking about this a lot because we're almost there, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking about ways I can not just charge in hating it. Like I'm really trying. I I seriously I'm trying, you guys. Um, I, I and. One of the sort of defenses that I'm kind of hearing is, don't take it seriously like DS9. It's more camp. It's more melodrama. It's more sort of fluff. Like, all right, maybe.
2: Well, I mean, if that's the case, like,
1: if we if we discover the key is to look at it this way, mm. we got to watch it for two and a half years. We're gonna we're gonna do that. Yeah. We're not just gonna stand there with our arms folded and say this sucks. That's no fun. If we find the way to enjoy it, we'll do that. Yeah. Uh, let's see, uh, this one comes from John Wiggins. I can't help but see the similarities between the Cardassians and the Nazis. Aside from Duet, Cardassians first invaded Bajor, similar to World War I. Then after they left, their planet was crippled, government in flocks, military might diminished, when I can only assume the economy was non-existent. When the Dominion showed up, the Cardassians couldn't help but go to war again, World War II, in order to write what they felt was wrong. Am I the only one seeing this? There's a new insight to the whole Cardassian-Dominion war. No, I the, think... Uh, the showrunners have said that.
2: Yeah, they're uh, very deliberately referencing the uh, the Nazis for uh, the Cardassians.
1: I don't think just the Nazis.
2: No, there's definitely some Cold War Russian stuff in there, too. Yeah, but, because uh,
1: there's a lot of, like, uh, Orwellian, and Orwell based a lot of his stuff on, like, the, the absolute power of the state in Russia. Yes. Like, the Soviets. There's a lot of that. Like, there's a lot of Soviet-era sort of propaganda, the state is always right stuff mm. in there. Um, for the and glory the, of the
2: state right
1: and the bajorans <laughs> are i mean the the obvious parallel is the jewish people yes because it's sort of like israel like the i i used to work around the military and the only people that american military people consistently will admit are tougher than they are is the israeli military <laughs> <laughs> those people they say are super super tough and kind of scary <laughs> And it's because they had a rough time for a while, and they clawed their way up to a nation, and they want to keep it. Mm-hmm. And in that way, I think the Bajorans are similar. Like, I, I could totally see Kira as as a like an Israeli fighter pilot or something. Oh, you know, totally, like, yeah, yeah. Like same kind of same kind of character types. Mm-hmm. But again, I don't think it's just that. I think there's elements of that. But like anything, if you're writing political type stuff, you have to draw on history. That's just it's it's really hard to invent. This kind of stuff from nothing. Yeah. Like you have to, you know, you have to draw from from historical sources. So, yeah, you,
2: no, you are not wrong.
1: No. Absolutely. You are, in
2: fact, the opposite of that.
1: <laughs> yes, you are correct. Yes. Uh, let's see. John Wiggins also writes in with uh, a YouTube link to an interview with the guy who designed the Enterprise D. We will put that in the show notes at postatomiccorner.com. Yes, indeed. Uh, this one comes from Deke. He says... Deke oh, Winsome? Dear. Yes, Deak Winsome, the same. The, the very same. The very same. Guy who's been writing to us since the earliest days of Sarcastic Voyage. Ah. Dear History's Greatest Monsters. Oh, so this well, one's for Flonk. So he would know. <laughs> Normally I hate those stupid holodeck episodes, but for some damnable reason I like Nick the Lounge Singer. I assume you mean Vic the Lounge Yes. Singer. No, Nick the Lounge Singer. Oh, the shark
2: bite <laughs> has such teeth, dear. Teeth. And he keeps some. Curly white.
1: It's pearly white.
2: Just a jackknife.
1: Oh you're gonna do the whole song, aren't
2: you? Is old Mackie something And he keeps it Out of sight
1: Are you done? There's a
2: tugboat uh. Down by the river, don't you know? Alright I'm done.
1: Okay. My mom used to sing that song to me as a kid. About about the shark violently killing a yep. guy. Uh, also, and gangsters, um, uh, and she would also sing uh, uh, "Maxwell Silver Hammer" by the Beatles, which was a song about being bludgeoned to death by a hammer. Yep, uh, that's uh, that's.
2: Bang, awesome. bang, Maxwell Silver. Yep.
1: So uh, I, I, I'm, I'm amazed I didn't grow up to be a serial killer. Is oh. what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, Deke says. Anyway, have you guys seen this picture? Uh, it is the picture of that uh, awesome astronaut in her Starfleet uniform. <laughs> uh, yes, I have. Yes, we have. Universe. It is awesome. Yes. Uh and she says uh uh well let me let me click on it. But she says there's coffee in that dragon. <laughs> Which there's a there's a reference uh, that's a reference to Voyager where uh uh they're running out of resources for the replicators and and Janeway wants her coffee and they're like uh, let's go in that nebula. There's coffee in that nebula. Like I it's a cheesy line but I get where it comes from. But um it it's a great reference for this uh because apparently the the dragon shuttle or whatever was bringing them coffee. Yep. So it was a great reference, and she actually brought her Starfleet uniform up there and wore it, and it was fantastic. I gotta tell you,
2: man, if I knew I was going into space, I'd bring my Trek uniform, too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, Deke says, Methinks that the post-atomic horror may have been listened to in actual space at some point. Yeah, I, I don't think that. Uh, if it has been, the people doing that, please write us. Yes, please do. If a real-life real, a real life astronaut has has heard the show...
2: We don't do this often anymore, but we will give you your pick of episodes. Oh, yeah. Assuming it hasn't already been claimed by someone and you're funny.
1: Yeah. No, I don't even care about that. If it's a real astronaut, someone who's been to space, you don't even have to be funny. Uh, Deke says, uh, after a hard day of crapping in a bag, floating around, sciencing stuff, and bouncing off things, NASA's top people are up there listening to Algar and Robot Ham's Trek reviews. So my question is: Given the chance, would you guys actually go to space?
2: Fuck yes! Really? In a minute. Really? Yes. Okay. Would you, you know. not?
1: Ah, uh, it depends on the situation. I like, it's not a straight yes or no. Wow. I look. Going up to orbit and staying there for a couple of minutes and floating around—that's all right. Going to the moon. The moon is boring. Fuck <laughs> no, man. there. Oof. I would
2: give my I, left nut to go into space. I, the thing is, you have to get in shape. Fine.
1: Really? Yeah! You know what? Oh. For space, fucking worth it. Alright. I don't know, like, it's, there's not enough in space yet. Like, it's, it's you know, it's space. It's literally, it's empty. It's, there's not, like, if we had a moon base, I would love to go there. Mm. But right now, as it stands, I, I would do the vomit comet thing. Like, I would go up and do the, the weightlessness thing. Yep. But apart from that, there's nothing to like. There's nothing to do. <laughs> I don't know that. Like, I don't know. Go stay in the International Space Station for a week? No. <laughs> yeah. I would hate that. <clears throat> Cramped quarters, and you have to get along with people. And no, no way. <laughs> no, psychologically, I just don't think it's it's something that I would enjoy. No, I
2: in a god in a goddamn minute.
1: Fair enough. Would you? Okay. There's that thing, and I don't know that it's going to happen, mm. but there's that project that is a one-way trip to Mars. Have you heard about that?
2: I have heard about that. That I would not do because, you know, one-way trip. Okay. I got a lot going on here, but, you know, to to visit space for, like, you know, like a couple of weeks or something? Fuck
1: yes. Mm. See, I'd visit for, like, a day. I think that, like, I would definitely do that.
2: I'm sorry. Is- that just seems so, um, uh, what do you call it, make-a-wish foundation-y to me? Yeah, yeah. Al gets to spend a day in space. And just cuts a picture of you.
1: Yay! But that's, that's really the only viable thing we have right now. Mm-hmm. All we have are the things that can shoot you up and let you be weightless for a bit. Yeah. There is no other, you know, there is no other thing. Until, like, Elon Musk or somebody opens up a hotel up there. Now, if there was an orbital hotel, I would absolutely go stay. I there.
2: don't know. I read Charlie in the Great Glass Elevator. That did not turn out well for anyone.
1: Well, that was also horribly, horribly racist. <laughs> that is true. I forgot about that part. Yeah, very very racist. Yeah. Oh man, super racist. Because I always thought, yeah, I I remember as a kid loving that book because they go off on adventures and they go to far off places and I forgot how racist all the adventures were. Oh man, yeah. They need to make a movie of that. Why do they keep doing the first one? They need to do oh.
2: Oh right, the racism. Jesus Christ. Yeah. The racism (laughs) that's like intricate to the plot. Yeah,
1: I just remember liking the vermicious knids. Yeah, terrifying monsters. Uh, this one comes from Mark again. There's a
2: line in there where it's like, you don't see their teeth until you do.
1: <laughs> uh, this one comes from Mark again, and it's, hi, Alan, Matt. I just hey. listened to your review of Profit and Lace. My opinion of this episode has changed significantly since it originally aired. Uh, when it came out, I was in the midst of sex change, and I absolutely loved one aspect. The instant sex change thing was extremely appealing to me at that point. Uh, that's understandable. I also sympathize with Quark's comedic hormonal issues more than they deserve because I had recently started hormones and had a hard time adjusting to them. Mm. I we, we have a friend who is going through that same issue, and it is, it's definitely, th- like, your your body's used to one thing, and you're suddenly drastically, like, that is that is a thing. Yep, I, I don't, you know, I know that for an observable fact. Uh, I haven't seen it in a long time, so I watched it after listening to review. You're definitely on point. I originally overlooked a lot of stuff for the sake of one appealing premise, including transphobic, homophobic, and sexist humor. Mm-hmm. The sexual harassment plot at the beginning and the end, the extended rape humor shot of the curtain while Quark mm-hmm. struggles with Nilva off-screen are particularly uncomfortable. This was actually the second episode that Siddig directed, but it was his last. The first was business as usual, which gave him much more of a scope for seriousness. Armin said he was always trying to convince the directors to take the material in Ferengi episodes as seriously as possible, and some listened more than others, and Sid listened more than anyone. Well, I think we talked about this when we did it, and Memory Alpha talked about this. There were two wildly divergent approaches to making that episode mm-hmm. armin and uh uh, uh siddig thought they should do it serious and the the writers and all the other actors thought it was a broad comedy episode yeah so that's part of it that's definitely not all of it but no part of it is very conflicting ways to approach it
2: yeah it's but there's
1: there's some problems in that script that are just yeah like you know
2: not good but uh no it does get back to the instantaneous the instantaneous exchange thing which i think is you know, one of the, one of the best things the truck universe has going for it.
1: Yeah. I mean, the fact that you can in an afternoon yeah. change to a different race, presumably you can also like, now we know you can also change to a different sex. Like yeah. that makes everything much more fluid. It makes everything much less set in stone. Mm-hmm. Like assuming your average person has access to this at any time they want, like you no longer have to, if you don't want to identify as I am always male, maybe yeah. maybe, maybe sometimes you're not. Yeah. Or, I mean, who knows? There's so many possibilities there. I
2: mean, I, fuck, go back and forth if that's what you want. Like, that's what I mean. Yeah. Like,
1: if you're, you know, fuck, drag queens. Yeah. Could just become women. Yeah. For a performance mm-hmm. and then go back to their lives. Like, I, I, and, you know, mm-hmm. so many other things. Like, this is a, you know, this is a complex issue and a lot of people want a lot of different things. But the point is, like, it, it all seems to be there. Like, it's it's available, you know? i think that's cool yeah
2: i think it's absolutely one of my favorite things
1: yeah you've talked you talked about that you're the first one who brought it up Mm -hmm. and it's fantastic um and again we are mostly straight uh, white guys in their 30s and 40s trying our best yeah and it's it's always nice to hear from someone who is not in our privileged position to say you guys were right to call that out like I'm, i'm i'm happy we got it right that that like we live in constant fear that we're fucking this yeah, up. Yeah, we've talked about that before too. Yeah, so I'm very glad that uh, we're not. This one comes from Rod again. This isn't just like a pile of emails from the same guy. It's just this is like three months worth of email. Mm. This is how this goes. Uh, I started reading Mark Cushman's These Are the Voyages. Al, I believe you mentioned these books before. Indeed, he I has. highly recommend them for all who love tedium and minutia. <laughs> I was happy to learn that I can thank Lucille Ball for for some part in, uh, uh, in some part for Star Trek. Never realized to what extent she was involved in her production company Desilu. Have these books brought you any new or fascinating insights? Uh, P.S. I think Roddenberry gets way too much credit for his visionary vision. You guys are right to joke about him. DS9 could have not been great if the great sweater vested bird of the galaxy insisted on writing drama. Uh, R.I.P. Well, I mean, I I didn't want him to be dead. I just wanted him to allow more latitude in Star Trek. Mm. Um, that book, I did finish the first one. I will not probably well, I don't know. I might get the second season one because there's some really good episodes in season two. A- as he says, they are exhaustively researched, yeah, like ridiculously like there is so like there is a production schedule that takes you through every single day. yeah, day one, we shot Shatner's close ups. Day two, we went to the Gorn Rocks again. like it's it's not I assume some people really like that, yeah, I do not. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff like Bob uh, does a very fine podcast called The Optical, which you should listen to. Um, we will put a link to that in the show notes, and he plugs it whenever he shows up here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's about like that technical behind the scenes production stuff that I tend in this Star Trek book to gloss over because it's not my field of interest. But Bob enjoys pretty substantial listeners, you know, listenership on that show. So there's obviously an audience for that. Yeah, like people enjoy that. Like, one of my best friends enjoys it, but. It's just not something I am I find all that interesting. I think of the, like, and, and you're probably the same way. I've read a lot of books about behind the scenes of Star Trek.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That was, uh, uh there was a period of my life where that was pretty much all I could count on to get for Christmas. Right. And oh, I, another behind the scenes Star Trek book. Thanks.
1: I just, at one point in the 90s, was picking up everything that said Star Trek on it. Like, yeah. this was, I was getting it for myself, whether it turned out to be good or not. I just uh, Star Trek, gotta get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like most of it, but I will say you don't need any of those other ones. Mm-hmm. This one, like, some of them focus more on the writing. Some of them focus more on the production. This is very... Comp- like, it covers everything, and, like, every time a new player is involved, every time a new producer joins, every time a new actor joins, he will give you a five-page biography of everything they did before. Mm-hmm. Like, it is so involved, and I just... It's, it's too much for me, yeah. but I also... As someone who has struggled with uh, attention deficit disorder my entire life, I am very skilled at skimming. Nope, skip, skip, skip. Boring, ah, boring,
2: boring. Ah, gossip about Gene. I'll read this.
1: <laughs> no, there is, and, and to answer Rod's question, I did learn a lot. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of super interesting stuff in there. It's If you're willing to either skim or read through the tedium, there's a lot of gold in there. There's, like, for instance... Uh, and I think this guy is the one to kind of blow the lid off of this. Um, the conventional wisdom has been forever that Star Trek was canceled due to low ratings. Like, right? Like, yeah. NBC said, nope, it's not doing good enough. We're canceling it. Mm-hmm. Combination uh, of
2: low ratings and Grandpa Simpson.
1: Uh, right. He wanted to watch Matlock, which hadn't even been invented yet. <laughs> um. But it, it it apparently I didn't know ratings were not available to the public at that point mm. like they didn't publish them anywhere it was an insider thing like the networks got them and that was it and it turns out he has now gotten access to this it's not like top secret documents or anything it's just they didn't publish them at that point so he's got them now and it was actually top rated a lot wow not not like consistently number one or anything but it was usually in the top 10 or top 20 mm-hmm. and and he pointed out a ton of shows that got to keep going with much lower ratings yeah it was not ratings. Wow. So, like, that's an interesting thing. Like, did somebody have a problem? Like, he didn't. He didn't have an answer to it. Like, did is it because someone had a grudge? Is it because they just perceived it differently? Like, who knows?
2: Now I want to see a movie set in the sixties called "Who Canceled Star Trek."
1: <laughs> but it was it, it. That's that's one thing that I. You feel like this story's been told a hundred times, but there's a new angle that you've never heard. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one is Harlan Ellison. Yep. There is a, a running thread. He goes through episode by episode, and there's a running thread where they hired Harlan Ellison on really, really early in, in season one. Mm-hmm. And uh, City on the Edge of Forever is one of the last episodes. I think it's like the, the penultimate episode of season one. It's like near the end. Yeah. Uh, because he dragged his feet forever.
2: <laughs> oh, really?
1: Yeah. He was, he was on staff or paid to do the script or however you say it. I, I don't know if on staff is correct. But uh-huh. He was he was he was tasked with writing this episode months and months before it finally got made and he did nothing wow according to this i i want to be clear i don't want to be sued according to this book i read he uh yeah he he apparently just hung out on the set played like played loud music sometimes he would like put a loud jazz record on in his office and then just leave <laughs> And they, they like, pound on the wall for him to turn the noise down, and they go into the office, and he wouldn't even be there. Wow. Just, like, and he liked to fuck around. He was kind of a, you know, mischievous guy, and that's fine, but... Uh, a dick? But there's there's definitely two sides to the, ah, they changed my script story. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, he did not treat them well before the script was even produced. So that, I don't know, I find that interesting. Mm-hmm. I also um,
2: love the revelation that Gene Roddenberry was a slob. That <laughs> yes, just like, makes me laugh.
1: I think I read. I think I I talked about that before. Yeah, we did.
2: But yeah. if you want to know my favorite thing from these of the voyages, a book I have not read yet, mm-hmm. if that would be it.
1: Uh, my actual favorite thing was uh, there is an extended passage about never produced episodes. That's pretty
2: cool. I've read um, a little bit of some of those, probably on Memory Alpha, and those mm-hmm. are those are always interesting.
1: No, and and like you and like many people who are really into Star Trek, I thought I'd read all of those. Mm-hmm. And he uncovered some that I'd never heard of. Yeah. Including Gene's pitch for a planet of uh, uh, black people who own white slaves. Uh. That was going to be an episode. Oh, Gene. Yeah.
2: How long did it take for them to save Kennedy from assassination? Well, I Riddle mean, me that.
1: <laughs> That's not even a real expression, you know. <laughs> that Riddle me it. <laughs> Riddle is not really a verb in that way. <laughs> you could be riddled with bullets, but... Not exactly the same thing. Uh, Let's see. This one comes from Seth. And he says... Seth, uh, I like that name. As I was watching Far Beyond the Stars, I kept drawing comparisons to past tense. Thinking about it... I Okay. I didn't bring this up. (laughs) Thinking about it, both episodes have the same basic premise. Members of the DS9 crew are sent back to the show's past where they must deal with a large societal problem in that time period. Well, I don't have the outright disdain of past tense that you both do... That's for sure. Uh, Nobody does, apparently. (laughs) That episode clearly isn't in the same league as Far Beyond the Stars. So why, besides Hat Guy, because, (laughs) you know, Hat Guy, does one work and the other not so much? Is it because Past Tense is set in what would be our dystopian future with its obvious problems, while instead Far Beyond the Stars is set in a common past that we both wheeze the audience and DS9 share and are supposed to have learned from? That Avery Brooks turns in an incredible performance in Far Beyond the Stars? That we enjoy seeing the cast out of makeup playing different people? That time travel plots are contrived and never make sense when you actually think about them? Or is it something else? Something non-Hat Guy related? <laughs> Seth. P.S. Hat Guy. Uh,
2: in answer to your question, Seth, no, it's Hat Guy. It's all Hat Guy. He's it's just completely. hes just the worst. He and wanted to go to Tasmania!
1: Reason. And it's that specific Hat Guy, because everyone in Far Beyond the Stars wore hats and they looked really great in them.
2: Yes, it was the style at the time.
1: Yes, and they all look pretty snazzy. Mm-hmm.
2: I would uh, go, venture so far to call some of them snappy.
1: No, nah, I'm gonna stick with snazzy. Well, fine. Look, we this podcast—this podcast is over. Oh, is that why we don't argue? Because you're just gonna quit? <laughs> you big quitter? Um, no. I, the real reason is okay. Real quick, without getting into the whole past tense thing again. Um, far beyond the stars had very personal stakes for Cisco. Mm -hmm. first of all was he crazy were the were the prophets sending him back in time actually or was this a was this a a dream what was going on but second of all he was in serious danger and he was like it was all about him yeah past tense expected us to care about characters we'd never met before and would never meet again yep uh, about a past that we knew they were gonna fix like we knew how that story played out before it got there we didn't know benny cisco could have all been a fantasy so they could have killed him They could have, you know, like, they could have done, like, all kinds of stuff. Who knows? Yeah. So the fact that it was sort of an imaginary episode sort of freed it to have sort of, like, yeah, nothing really mattered, but it still could be higher stakes Mm -hmm. in a way. And uh, also, yeah, it wasn't, like, it was heavy-handed, but not too heavy-handed, I don't think, because it was dealing with real stuff that actually happened to people. Yeah. Whereas Past Tense was like, if we don't stop, it could get like this. (laughs) and. The thing is, the this it was like was like, here is a a home for homeless people. We've Mm -hmm. tried to fix the problem and it went a little wrong. Yeah. I just, I,
2: I just kept expecting, past tense kept making me expect the characters were going to turn to the camera and just go, when will we
1: learn? Why don't they look? Why don't they look? (laughs) Uh, This one is from Kevin. Uh not not Flonk. Somebody actually named Kevin. Well no, because it said
2: Kevin and not Flonk. I right. don't know I don't know Kevin's.
1: Right. Hi Algar and Paul Rudd. Hello. Oh, he's not Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd. Didn't even know who Paul Rudd was before Ant Man. Paul Rudd. Three questions for you. Mm-hmm. I,
2: Paul Rudd, will answer it to the best of my ability.
1: <laughs> One. I just finished listening to Neil deGrasse Tyson's Star Talk, George Takei, and the Legacy of Star Trek, Season 6, Episode 15, April 26, 2015, uh, of which was discussed topics focused around one topic, uh, Star Trek, the original fucking series. My question is, why do people only ever talk about the original series? Why does Sulu and Spock get more attention than Gul Dukat or Joseph Sisko? A Google search for a number of episodes of Star Trek returns 79, and that drives me bonkers. Mm -hmm. Uh, we'll, We'll do these one at a time.
2: Um... Well, I think like you know, the basic answer is like you know, original Trek is older.
1: Yeah, it came first. Also, it is by far the most popular. Mm -hmm. Like, fair or not fair, it is the most popular. Yeah, because our at this point grandparents grew up on that. uh,
2: No, our parents. Yeah, our parents. My, (laughs) My grandparents grew up with a healthy disdain for Star Trek.
1: Yeah, our our grandparents grew up in the Depression. Where I I was I was incorrect there. Yeah, but they were our... they
2: were killing off Edith Keeler's.
1: Right. Well, she must die, Matt. <laughs> um, I, yeah, like our parents, and uh, you know, like it's a generational thing at this point. Like it's 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 been around for so long that like it's just it's it's ingrained in the culture. Yeah, and it's just it's a
2: part of you know,
1: it's it's more like. If you walk up to any person, they're probably gonna know who Captain Kirk is they'll probably know what a Klingon and a Tribble are beyond that yep they'll know who Spock is yeah beyond that they're not they may know who Picard is, but then you're getting like it gets more divisive then you yeah. get more into sort of sub you know fandom and stuff like that like I don't know like whether it's deserved or not that's just the one mm-hmm. that's the one people know that's the th-
2: if you go up to you know a random person on the street. Um, and just say, name someone from Star Trek, you're going to get Captain Kirk or Mr. Spock. Right. Um.
1: You might get Data. Yeah, you might get
2: Data. Y- but, yeah, you, might you, get data you might get uh, Captain Picard. You will not get anyone saying Gul unless no. they talk to me.
1: Yeah, right. But it's like uh, President Obama has been compared to Spock. Mm-hmm. That is a broad metaphor that anyone is going to understand. If they compared him to, you know somebody else from one of the other shows Mm -hmm. it's not going to track like people aren't going to get the reference yeah it's just it's the one everyone knows and personally i think there's still a lot of unexplored potential there that's why i think that the reboot was a good idea Mm -hmm. i think those characters still have a lot of life in them i think telling stories with them that are not colored by that 60s you know awfulness yeah like you could you could tell a whole new set of stories with them being a little more enlightened Whereas I think Next Gen is kind of done. DS9, I loved it, but it DS, had an ending.
2: D, yeah, exactly. DS9 is amazing, but it's also a really good... Like, we don't need to go back to DS9 after those no, seven seasons, it's a, honestly. It's a finite
1: story, and you'll see what we mean when we get to the end of season seven. Yeah. But it, it very clearly has a beginning and an end. Mm-hmm. It's done. It's not like, and then they went on to more adventures. It's it's over. Yeah. And I... Look, if, the, if you told me... If you, Matt, who... I'm going to give you a compliment here. I trust your your uh, your taste. Oh
2: God! What?
1: <laughs> Sorry. No. If you told me I just read this DS9 book and it's great, mm-hmm. I would believe you and I'd probably check it out. Yeah, exactly. I mean, or it's... someone else whose whose opinion in Trek I trust, yeah. I would check it out. But otherwise, I'm not that interested. Mm-hmm. Just don't, don't. There need to.
2: There's um. There was actually after DS9 ended, there was a fairly long running. Uh, for want of a better term, season eight uh, book series they did, uh, Mm -hmm. which I tried reading and just lost interest in because there's just no real point to it.
1: No, and again, because we can't be very spoilery, Mm -hmm. it's hard to be specific. Yeah. Except to broadly say that at the end of many TV shows, uh, characters split up and go about their own separate ways, and that happens on this show. Mm -hmm. Some characters are in positions to not come back. And so, without that, it's a very different thing. Mm-hmm. I We won't say where they go or what happens, but they, they're not all able to be together still. Yeah. And it just, it doesn't, It you know, I don't know. And, like, Next Gen, I would have loved to see better movies, but we got what we got, and it's it, now it's kind of over. Yeah. Whereas the original series is, is kind of alive again, so, you know, I don't know. That doesn't really answer his question at all. But, but uh, uh, there it is. Yeah. I agree. Like, I... I I generally agree with that. Mm-hmm. Like, I generally think it should be that
2: way. Yeah. I, you know, ta- <laughs> if you want to talk to anyone about uh, DS9 being, and, and the people in it being underrated, you know, come to us.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we've been we, singing these phrases since the beginning. Yeah,
2: we agree. Yeah. <laughs> I said as recently as last week that Gul Dukat is the best Trek villain ever. Yeah. And I, I stand agree. by that.
1: I don't think that the original series had a lot of good villains. It like, did not. No. was all right, but yep. for the most part, my favorite episodes were either sort of faceless, like like uh, the Tholian web is one of my favorites, and you don't really get to know any of those guys. No, they're they're antagonists, but they're not really villains. Mm-hmm. Uh, or it's just sort of a man versus nature, outside force kind of fighting
2: thing. another goddamn energy cloud, huh? I, Fine. Some of those I really like. Yeah.
1: Some of those are boring, but some My of those are My favorite
2: episode is basically an energy cloud.
1: Yeah, the Doomsday Machine is an energy funnel, but yep. same, same basic thing, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, I would say that's more man versus nature than it is against another intelligent, like, it might have been intelligent, but they never communicated with it, so yeah. it's effectively nature. Yeah. So, it's, it, like, there aren't really a lot of villains with faces that you could talk to and punch, you Yeah. Know? Like, I think that's why they picked Khan, because it's about all they had. There's a couple others, mm-hmm. but... Sorry, anyway. Could kind have of gotten into topic. some
2: Klingon stuff. But I mean, like, Khan yeah. was, yeah.
1: And they did get into some Klingon stuff. Mm-hmm. We had General Chang. Yep.
2: We talked and about his, it earlier. And his chicken.
1: Yes. Uh, he goes on to say, which leads into my second question For as far reaching and approachable as Star Trek is as a whole, why does it not get as much recognition in popular culture as it deserves? I think we've kind of covered that. I don't know. It's just, it feels like I think an outsider thinks it's inaccessible. Mm-hmm. It's the same reason I have trouble picking up comics at issue 500. Yep. It's the same reason... Like, there's a lot of stuff like that. People don't start watching a show at season 8. Like, it's... I, I feel like it's not even a completionist nerd thing, but I feel like for someone to watch the next generation, they probably feel like they need to watch the original first. Yeah. Watch DS9, they probably feel like they need to watch the other two. Well, you know I, I, mean? I like, should watch
2: all of next gen at the very least. Well, no, you really don't have to.
1: No. They give you everything you need at the very beginning. Yep. But, so. I don't know. I just... I feel like... And it also... Star Trek fans have done, and we're guilty of this too, but Star Trek fans have, like all nerds, sort of worked to make it feel like an insider's club, and it shouldn't be. Yeah. But it very much is like, this is our club, man. You you, you know, I try to be as welcoming as I can to outside people and, and talk them into Star Trek being great, But but we do a lot of inside stuff. We have a lot of subculture stuff that's mm-hmm. ours, you know, like, and that's inaccessible to some people. They don't want to join the club when everyone's talking about how it's, you know, it's our thing. Go away. Yeah. So I think that's why. Uh, three Voyager is awesome. So is Enterprise. Uh, that is okay. What he says, we will find out when we get there. Uh, this one comes from Mel, and she says, "Dear Alan Matt, I just saw Terry Farrell at a con a few months ago, and hmm. she said she didn't actually want to leave DS Nine, but wasn't up to doing a whole other season as a main cast member. Hmm. Uh, so she has to be a recurring character like Garrick or Nog, parentheses or like Sirik Lofton." <laughs> <laughs> But one of the producers, I forget which, said they only wanted her for the main cast or not at all, hoping she would cave and sign for Season 7. That turned out well for them. Uh-huh. Anyway. Well, DS9's downfall is Becker's
2: uh, victory.
1: The thing is, I would have been fine with that. Like, I loved Dax, and I wish Dax would have been, like, more prominently featured, but yep. I would much rather, rather than killing her off... Yeah, I, I, would,
2: I would much prefer she be alive and, you know, have a reduced Even if she showed up role. as often as
1: Garrick. Yeah. That would be fine. That's still 3 or 4 good episodes a season. Cuz
2: the thing is the way the way DS9 has always worked with its supporting cast is that like it's not like it, just cuz you're supporting you don't have anything to do. Like no. supporting they all, cast they members always
1: get a good spotlight at least once per season and they're usually around for some other stuff too. Yeah,
2: you could honestly, you could easily have had her as a supporting cast member and not had it affect have it affect the show almost at all.
1: You I mean, know, like, I will say, they get into some interesting drama mm-hmm. in season seven. I don't want her to leave. Like, I think she's great. Yeah. But they will get into some interesting drama about what her loss means. Mm-hmm. Because this is a character, it took her a little while to get up to speed, but this is a character that touched a lot of lives whose loss will affect a lot of lives. Oh, yeah. I mean, War and Cisco primarily, but I, not, not just those.
2: Two. Well, I, m- I mentioned this on the show, but I don't think, you know, um, I don't think uh, a Cisco who has lost Dax would have left the station.
1: That is true. Mm-hmm. Well, wait, no. You mean if if Dax was still there, he wouldn't have left. No,
2: if, if yeah, exactly. He would not have okay. left if Dax was still alive.
1: Right. No, I think that's more what threw him than the prophets. Yeah, thing. he would have tr- he would have stayed there and powered through and tried to figure it out with her. Mm-hmm. No, it's like it's like Kirk losing Spock or Bones. Yeah, like they're that close. Like that is an essential part of his life, of his problem solving, of his confiding. Like you know, without that emotional support. And intellectual support, he's got nothing. Yeah. He's got Jake, but, I mean, that's it. Like,
2: Sarah so Lofton does not
1: appear in this grief. Oh, no! <laughs> but, you know, like, like Jake's, what, 20? Yeah. He, he doesn't really have the emotional maturity to help his dad through some of that hard stuff.
2: Oh, jeez. Uh...
1: I'm just trying to think of people on the station he's that close with. Yeah. Jake's the only other one.
2: Yeah, basically. Like, he's got, we talked about this, too, he's got some legit good friends on the station, but... No one like you know. No, no one like Dax.
1: Right. Like I say, it's like a Kirk and Spock thing. Mm-hmm. It is so they are so like joined that it it throws his life into. Ca- I mean, we saw what happened briefly when Spock was dead and Kirk was just like rudderless. Like, yep. What do I do? He was like, I can't do this without him. Yeah. And that's what where Cisco is right now. Pol- <laughs> Polishing rocks. Whereas Picard could lose any one of those guys and he'd feel bad. Yep. And he would lose out in terms of function, in terms of like. That guy was the best at his job. Yeah, but he
2: still, you know, the job would still get done, whatever that job yeah. ha- w- happened to be.
1: Maybe if they lost Gynen, that's the only person I could think of that he actually. I don't even. In. I don't
2: even think Gynen. I think that would be a huge loss for him. But I don't. Th- <laughs> like, no,
1: he wouldn't leave Starfleet. No. If Gynen got killed on his watch, yeah. But but I do think it would hit him pretty hard. Mm-hmm. I but none of the main guys. No. It's just that's not the kind of guy he was. Yeah. But Cisco, yeah, like it's. But anyway, my point is. The show, like, regardless of how it happened, and if this is true, and I don't have any reason to think it's not, like, that's, that's, that sheds light on something I never saw that way before. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't realize she didn't really completely want to leave. But I will say the show rolls with it as best they can, and they do actually tell some good stories about her absence. Mm -hmm. And we'll get to those starting next week. Yep. Uh, She says, anyway, my question is this: A friend of mine is tired of hearing me talk about DS9 without knowing what it's about and wants to start watching. Okay what do you think good. what do you think would be the best episode or two to get someone with limited track knowledge into ds9? And thanks guys, I don't know if I ever would have watched ds9 if you'd not sold it so well while you're leading up to it at the end of next gen and it was so great and I'm glad I'm over the whole it's a space station thing and they don't go anywhere attitude and watched it. Looking forward to the next season and the rest of your show.
2: Um Thank you. I think Emissary hits the ground running honestly. I think you can easily start your friend there and just go. I agree. Um, I'll say I uh, think there are episodes you can skip. As you go through, which is why it's a good thing we have a podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think that you are correct. That um, I can't think of a lot of other Star Trek. Sh- I can't think of a lot of other shows. Period. Mm. But especially Star Trek shows, I don't think there's any other ones where I would stand by the pilot as a strong place to start. Fuck no. Far points are right. Eh,
2: I, would gets- I-, I would. not would not. I would not show no. anyone Far Point to get them into watching TNG.
1: No, you might want to go back. Like I'd probably start them with one of the two or three good episodes from season two. Yeah, or just start them in season three somewhere. Yeah, and then go back and watch Farpoint to know who Q is. But that's about it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but yeah, you're right. But it, like, and I can say this: I remember Voyager's pl- uh, pilot not really grabbing me. I remember Enterprise's plot not really like pilot not really grabbing me. Like none of them. Yeah, got me in the same way that the DS Nines did. So, yeah, I would say that is that is true. Um,
2: if you want to just grab a... Just sort of a random sort of mid-series uh, DS9 and just sort of be all like, yeah, this is it. Um, I don't know.
1: I would say The Search would be really good one, the two-parter that opens, I think, season three where they get the Defiant, where the founders... it is a It's a test episode, which I don't love. Yeah. But it's the introduction to the founders. It's the whole, like... Gearing up to be what the show's really about, like with the war. Yeah, that's the, that's a good one. Like, that's a solid because a lot of their season premieres are very much like sort of reintroductions or Way of the Warriors. Oh, thing.
2: shit. Yeah. Way of the Warriors is a good one. But Way uh, of the Warriors is a good one if, uh, if, uh, all. If you're a
1: next gen fan, yeah. it seems to be one over. Yeah. That's kind of what really, like, it's not completely what got me, but that's what made me stay. Yeah. Uh, the, the season three finale is actually what got me. Mm hmm. But, um, yeah, that's, so uh, any one of those. But I would say the pilot, very strong. Mm-hmm. And then maybe skip a few. Um,
2: if she's an original fan, fucking get in on Trials and Tribulations. That episode was basically made for people who only watched the original series.
1: It, it sounds like she didn't have a lot of interest in Star Trek in general. Okay. So it's kind of an outsider, like a Trek outsider. thing.
2: But... Yeah, well then just, uh, yeah, just start with Emissary. You'll be fine.
1: Because the thing about Emissary, unlike any of the other shows, you get a pretty good idea of what the show is. Like, it gets better.
2: Yep but i but it's like that it's a very watchable show right out the gate
1: and it gives you all the character like it it does all that horrible tedious stuff that pilots have to do mm-hmm. all the unpacking of who each person is and what their job is and what their conflict is and that's rough yeah like that's rough to do in in 90 minutes and also be interesting and they managed to do that and also tell a good story mm-hmm. um but it's also like I hate it when someone says, well, you got to slog through the first seven seasons, but then then it starts to get good. Like, yeah. Eh. I don't have time for that
2: kind of crap. I have episodes of Daredevil to watch.
1: The thing is, the pilot's good enough that you can say, okay, did you like that? It only gets better. Yeah. It's not like, well, that was okay, but it'll get way better. Yeah, and right? then
2: with, with a skilled hand, you can navigate around stuff like the Alamoraine episode, uh, mm-hmm. if wishes were horses, mm-hmm. all that bullshit.
1: Yeah. But I will say, like, Uh, The second episode is when Garrick shows up, and uh, Tosk shows up, and all those... Like, there's some good episodes right at the beginning.
2: Yeah. Do you you remember when we started DS9 and there was serious concern that there would be no bad episodes? Yeah. That was an actual conversation we had.
1: Yeah. My memory may be a bit uh, bit biased, as it turns (laughs) out. My my glasses are a bit (laughs) rose-colored when it happens.
2: Oh, God.
1: Yeah, that was, that was good. So, we, again, we've been wrong a lot. Oh, yes. So, certainly we could be wrong about the next two series. Stay tuned. We will see. Yep. Uh, let's see. We are almost through the mail, which is good because we're just passing the two hours. Oh, Jesus here. Christ. Uh, this one comes from Justin, and he says, So, we'll be hitting Voyager by Summer's End. Yep. I know you've grumbled about it since day one. However, after a string of things like Molly in a Time Hole, Quark and Drag, and Trek Babies on the Valiant, is it easier to write your summaries while heaping contempt on the episode, or do you prefer to throw a in the pale moonlight on it? It
2: has always been easier to write a summary for a shitty episode to the point where I will request shittier episodes. Yeah,
1: no, you will. You will say w- which. What are the two episodes? And I'll tell you. And you say which ones are those? And I'll tell you. And you'll always take the bad one. Uh, time, uh, time
2: care. hole, or or a uh, cork and drag, Matt. Oh, give me profit and lace.
1: That was a, that was a flip of coin. Yeah, really, for me. No, I can. I honestly because I. I been like I did all those transformers like I, I've been doing this a little bit longer I pretty much know how basically how to approach a good episode or a bad episode you do too mm-hmm. you've certainly taken a good episode and made it funny oh yeah but it's easy you are right that it's easier but at this point I don't I don't see it as difficult to do good episodes no like I have it it's second nature to the it's same.
2: been so long since I have uh, had trouble making us making a summary
1: yeah I mean every now and then I get bored and you can tell because I'll do something gimmicky mm-hmm I'll do so, And you, you've done the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, the infamous werewolves adventure yeah. comes to mind. But I'll sometimes go with a runner that might be a little unconventional or I'll leave out major plots of the story, or you know, points of the plot because I think it would be funnier that way. Yeah. You know, whatever. Like, just I, I, all we need is p- talking points. Like, yeah. It's not really like I have to tell you everything that happens. But my point is it's never difficult. No. And I. Uh, people have told us that the show is best when we do both yeah and we have one really good one and one really bad one because then you kind of get the full range of what we do well because then
2: we can have the combination of this is why we love star trek and this is why we're mad
1: yeah and it's it goes back to what i said earlier mm-hmm. i want something i can be passionate about but also complain when it hurts me
2: yes and it does hurt me oh yeah physically <laughs> there's a reason you own that bucket
1: yeah i'm i honestly i couldn't find it or i would have pulled it out <laughs> for uh yeah we we moved since like since we last pulled that out, which I think was Subrosa,
2: I'm I'm sorry. I just I picture I you like I lost my bucket, man. I picture you like that scene from The Incredibles, honey. Where is my Star Trek bucket?
1: What? My Star Trek bucket? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Justin goes on. I, for one, love it when you do the bad ones, because the hostile hatred for Braga and his typing chimpanzees makes for a uh. great time to start my Monday morning when I listen to you when I get to work. Uh, and since Voyager has about good uh, 15 good episodes, I'm in for a good long while of great starts to the week. <laughs> I I, I can't. First of all, this isn't me being modest at all. I, I seriously cannot tell objectively when the show is good. Like, I know we have delivered a consistent level for a while. If, it, if you like it, you're probably going to continue to like it. Yes. But I can't necessarily say that was, like, that was really funny. Like, I can say when Matt's really funny, but I can't say when I am because I, I just, I'm not capable of that. But when I, no, I'm serious, like, I can't, I, I can't, without time. Yeah. Like, I could I could listen to 100 episodes ago and say, okay, I was funny that day. Mm-hmm. I can't listen to three episodes ago and say I was funny that day. It's too soon. Like, do you understand what I mean? I can't oh, totally. It. So, I, I, I appreciate that there is a different tone to complaining and praising. And if this guy thinks we're funnier when we're complaining, that's fine. I just prefer a mix of both. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Like,
2: no, it gives us more to work with. Yeah. I and guess. it's always nice to have a good episode to wash the taste out of a bad episode. Yeah, there,
1: there's also that.
2: <laughs> when we get two in a row, when we get a profit and lace and time hole, uh, I just feel it gets sad. It's, it's the just problem like,
1: is, uh, and I really hope I don't dislike the the coming shows as much as I think I'm gonna, because. I don't want this to feel like an obligation. I don't want it to feel like, ugh. Like, I love, we got to a period in DS9, I think, oh, it was the beginning of season, yeah, season six, where we had that run of serialized stuff. Yeah. Where it's like, every week, I was like, I, like as soon as I finished editing one episode, I would jump on the next. I gotta watch the next episode. Yeah, I, I want that. I don't want it to feel like a chore. Ugh, time to watch something, I guess. Uh Uh-huh. I just, I don't want it to feel like that. It's fun. And I think, People, you know, people will be able to tell the difference if we're not having fun. Yeah. Uh, Last email comes from Scott. Not Scott Zioko, different Scott. Uh, And he says... uh, Oh, it's just a link. Uh, He sent this to us on Twitter a while back, and I emailed it to him. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, This is a cracked article about uh, seven beloved characters that were shamefully exploited. (laughs) We will provide a link for this in the show notes on postatomicora.com. Uh, one of these is Gene Roddenberry talks to Spock's dad about Vulcan sex. Uh-huh, which, ew. Uh, and this is this is directly from this article here. Uh, the highlight of the album, maybe any album, is when Spock's dad, actor Mark Leonard, sits down with Gene Roddenberry. The interview is done entirely in character. Gene greets him as a space ambassador, then immediately, immediately asks him, asks him how he managed to have sex with a human woman. <laughs> and it's as, as if Ambassador Sarek had been waiting to hear his whole Vulcan life to hear the question find yourself some privacy and enjoy some of the finest erotica the stars have to offer. Um there's there's more but that's,
2: that's We um we were talking about this before the episode and I brought up uh, Jim Shooter who um used to write for the Legion of Superheroes.
1: Yeah, I know him as like the Marvel editorial guy. Yeah,
2: yeah. Um but he sort of cut his teeth like he got into writing comics super young, like I think mm-hmm. 13 or 14. Wow. Uh yeah. And
1: in And it shows in the maturity of what you're about to share with
2: us. And in either the late sixties or early seventies around then, there was a uh, there was an independently published uh Legion zine that he wrote an article for which basically went into unfortunately seamy detail about every single female Legionnaire's uh sex life. Mm-hmm. Um why I bring that, and you can find this online pretty easily, I think Comics Alliance did a thing on it I'll, a couple of I'll years ago. I'll track it
1: down and link to it, because if we're doing show notes, then uh, we might as well.
2: Yeah, but um, I bring that up because there is a way to discuss uh, the sex life of fictional characters, and the way to do it is to not include the creator.
1: Yeah. No, I, I, I will stand by Larry Niven's uh, Man of Steel, Woman of Kleenex. Yep as being fairly like it's a it's a little sexist, yeah. I guess. But it's is mostly done tongue in cheek and it's mostly meant for laughs and it's not like misogynist or yeah. anything. It's it's kinda of funny.
2: And I'm pretty sure as a comic fan, I have a article about the Joker's sex life in me somewhere. Probably. Something yes. I've spent an unfortunate amount of time thinking about.
1: Yeah, we talked about this when that picture of uh Jared Leto surfaced of, of the Joker and yeah. I said the Joker shouldn't be shirtless and you had this whole rant about the Joker can be naked, that's fine and he okay, just, you've thought about this. Yeah, a lot. Um, okay. Fair enough.
2: But um, the nice thing there is I don't write Batman.
1: Yeah, that is true. Uh, speaking of Batman, actually Batman's on this list as well. Of course, it's a Ooh. list of like, yeah, seven because it's cracked. I, I, uh-huh. I usually don't like listicle sites, but whatever. Cracked sometimes does has some okay stuff. I've, uh, yeah, but there's I've one about Batman examples. asking children to help fund the Vietnam War. Ooh. which is Adam West appealing, I guess, to people to buy savings bonds to support the war. So that's unfortunate. Well,
2: I mean, yeah, I know that man was a
1: square. He was for the establishment on that show.
2: I will say that's still better than um, 1940 or 1930s era racist Superman. So
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Slapping. People yeah. and So forth. Uh, and then there's this uh, number three on this list, which is Regis arouses deep space nine's quark while Kathy Lee watches. Uh, it's a 1993 episode of Regis and Kathy Lee, uh, and it, it would appear that, uh, Armin Shimmerman is in full quark makeup, he's in character, and Regis is fondling his ears. Yep, getting a full-on ear job. Yeah, so to to, to bring it back to one of the first questions, it's still creepy, still gross. But really, anything Regis Philbin does is gross. Let's be very clear.
2: Yeah, I mean, have you watched uh, the, any of the old Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? It's literally covered in mucus. <laughs> the whole set, it's disgusting.
1: Yeah, that guy, that guy not great. No. Uh, Re- so
2: Regis Philbin, No, not many people know this, Regis Philbin sweats earwax.
1: Yeah. No, all his, he's got, um, it's like, uh, what, what do you call it, where you're, all your senses are mixed up? Yeah, the, uh, um, uh, synesthesia? yeah synesthesia thank you uh it's like that only with bodily fluids, yeah, so like he ejaculates mucus, yeah and like he cries um blood yep and so forth like that
2: dude from that James Bond movie
1: yeah or or that dude from uh what we do in the shadows yep uh so yeah' I'll, like he sweats earwax, as yeah. We say.
2: yeah literally it it takes over forty makeup artists to get him on t v yep um The only reason he is no longer on television is that he, like, they could not cover the costs of swabbing him down every day. Oh, surely he's still on television. Oh, he might be. I don't know. He's
1: (laughs) one of those guys that cannot not be on
2: television. It could be be a, uh, what do you call it, Um, a a wax dummy.
1: Animatronic Regis? Yes. Which is a great phrase.
2: (laughs) But, uh, yeah, Regis, if you're listening to this, sorry about your whole deal. Eh, I'm um, not. I hope that you were able to scoop the uh, right amount of eye boogers from between your toes this morning. And yet,
1: Kathy Lee is a bigger monster. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, she actually fought Godzilla. Uh,
1: she's the worst. Uh-huh. Uh huh. All right, so that is all the mail. Um, <laughs> thank you. If you are still listening, <laughs> that is all the mail. That is way more than all the time. Yeah, we could make like three episodes out of this. Yep. But I, I, I feel like we're not padding it. It's just this is what we had to talk about. Yeah. Um. Uh, so, if yeah, you it, if you enjoy these like two hour
2: monstrosities, please let us know.
1: Yeah. If you would rather us keep it short, maybe we could do that. that if is, a lot of you said that. Yeah. That is
2: actually a thing I would be interested in hearing. Yeah.
1: For the most part, these days, I mean, you know, I try to keep us at an hour. Yeah. I try to keep the episodes at at almost exactly an hour. And I, because I'm kind of OCD, like when we get to exactly an hour, like yes. Mm-hmm. But we get to about the thirty minute mark. That's when I start saying, uh, "Do you have anything else? Do you want to, you know?" because, yep. Like I just I want to make sure. Like I know, as a podcast listener, if I download an episode that is like three hours long, oh god. See,
2: with me, it depends on what it is. Like there are certain podcasts I will listen to six, eight hours of. Okay, happily. that's,
1: fair. that's um, fair. Hopefully, we are like that. Yeah, that would be nice. We are. But I mean, look, I'll listen feels... to
2: me for two hours, but I'm a yeah.
1: narcissist. An hour feels like about the right amount to me. Like I doubt. Like I mean, hopefully, most people's commutes aren't more round trip more than an hour. No. For instance. Well, or, since you know, I stopped whatever.
2: working at the comic store, so,
1: or you know, like uh, you know, doing the dishes or, or mowing the lawn or you know yep. whatever you do when you listen to podcasts, like it, it, it feels like a nice length. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I continue to talk about how long the show is, I realize I'm making it longer. <laughs> <So>. <laughs>
2: and <laughs> right. as I realize that, I am making it longer still. Yes, the length um, continues to lengthen.
1: Yes, we're we're getting we are perpetually getting halfway to the end <laughs> without ever actually getting. It. <laughs> It's like that old riddle. Uh if you would like to write to us if there's something that we have not discussed that you would like us to discuss, if there's somehow something we haven't talked about mm-hmm. yet. That seems unlikely, but uh uh that 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 chick found something. Alice, she found something. Yep. It's possible. Uh write to us, postatomicore at gmail. Uh the website, as we said, postomacore.com. Uh the supplemental episodes when we talk about links and websites and stuff, we, we try to provide that. So find this episode and yep. there will be links there. Postomac uh com. Oh, right. That is where when Matt and I are browsing Tumblr and see something cool Star Trek related, we'll reblog it. Often because we both have access to it, we will both reblog the same thing, not realizing the other guy has done it. That does happen. That's what happens when you give two guys access to something that neither of them follows. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then I'll go post the show and I'll be like, oh, Matt and I both posted this (laughs) twice each. Welp! (laughs) All right, then. Uh, Yeah, so I think that's all the things. Yeah. Uh, and we will be back next week with kicking off season seven. Yeah. So look forward to that. Be there. Yep. See, see, see you, folks. That's that's how the show ends, Matt. The Post Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar Watt and Matt Rabotham. Copyright 2015. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.